This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Let's go back in time to 1932 as Converse brings you historic footage of the legendary original Celtics with whom all great professional teams are compared. We have now taken over your radio. Richie Guerin is about to show you the most important step in getting past a man. It's the first one. An Oscar will inbound it. The men in green, the Milwaukee Bucks, that's Al Cinder against Bellamy. Jordan open Chicago with the lead Hello and welcome back to the Over and Back Classic NBA podcast. I am Jason Mann and with me as always is Rich Krejci. Rich, glad to be back with you. Absolutely. How are you? I'm doing well. You know, I'm uh, I'm excited for another podcast. This is our 12th podcast. Indeed. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah. So uh, thanks, everyone, who has been checking us out, giving us feedback, and uh, otherwise saying nice things about us. We definitely appreciate it. And uh, today we are going to talk about uh, Jason Williams, White Chocolate, as he was known, a, who was uh, – Quite the rookie sensation for uh, the Kings back in the lockout season of 1999 for his flash and his playmaking. I know for you, he was definitely a, uh, I don't know, is influence the right word or definitely? Yeah. yeah. No, I, th- I, I think influence is the right word. I mean, that that's, you know, and I, I believe my friend will be listening to this podcast because I told him I'm doing a Jason Williams podcast and he's very excited about this. But but him and I, we, we, we both started kind of watching the NBA around the same time. And he was a guy that that we just immediately were gravitated to because it was so much. It was just so shocking to see what he could do and the creative stuff he could do. And it was, it was perfect for watching videos and then going to like our YMCA or going to his driveway and practicing the stuff because it was just insane. And it, it it came out around the same time as we're still in this sort of and one generation where we're watching you know the and one mixtapes and you have hot sauce and and skip to my lure or whatever. And it's a similar stuff. And then you see a guy in the NBA doing this stuff. And that was always our biggest thing is like, yeah, you can do this while you're in the park and no one's playing defense and all that sort of stuff, but try it in the NBA. I mean, you know, try it when guys are guarding you and this guy did. And in that, that was always an inspiration in a lot of ways. And I think it still does. I still think the way I pass is 
a lot because when I was learning the game, I was looking at tapes of him and then trying to emulate. I mean, I still, I try the elbow pass unsuccessfully. It never really works in games. I don't do it in that, but I do a lot of the other stuff. I mean, like the between the legs passes he does, uh, there's one where he does a crossover and spins and, and, and throws it, you know, to the, to the baseline. I do that one every so often. Uh, the way I sort of move my head as I, as I pass is a lot of it was influenced by Jason Williams. And I still, to this day, I played this morning and, and a lot of, there was things that I did that I, I, think I can attribute to watching Jason Williams as a kid who's, you know, a young, you know, impressionable child watching the NBA. I mean, I, I thankfully play a little bit better defense, but uh, yeah, no, just a, definitely. I, I think influence is the right word. Absolutely. Yeah. And, um, you know, the, I mean, he really was a phenomenon. I mean, particularly that first year with the Kings who were much improved after years of um, being a really bad team. They, um, you know, were kind of up and on the rise. It, it, it seems to me now I wasn't really following basketball closely in 99, but it seems to me that sort of the, his phenomenon uh, had a lot of similarities to Linsanity a couple of years ago. And both of those of course are sort of fueled by players going against like, you know, stereotypes or notions of, you know, how somebody of their race plays, you know, mm-hmm. or somebody from their background plays. Um, you, I mean, I don't know. Do you, do you feel like that is a fair comparison? Oh, certainly. Yeah. And, and then Linsanity thing, that was that was obvious at the time and maybe less so, you know, kind of we were living in that. So we know that as far as the, the, the you know, the Jason Williams sensation, I think so as well, because when you read a lot of the articles, one of the leads or, or, or something that's brought up really quick is he's doing stuff that, you know, white guys shouldn't do or, you know, and then that's not really. I mean, it's a very big generalization because obviously we have Pete Maravich, we have you know Bob Cousy is, is is the you know inventor of the behind the back pass. And there's there's a bunch of other guys that have done similar things to that. But it still was that phenomenon of like, here's this guy. And and the way he talked as well was very, you know, it wasn't, he kind of had a a, a twang to his his voice and there was something just very different about him. And, and, and yeah, I mean, it was kind of the the fact that you were the, the flashiest guy in the court was a white guy. And that to a lot of people was, was, was interesting. And that was the Linsanity thing too, is that there was, Oh my God, there's, you know, (laughs) <laughs> this Asian guy and he's the one of the best players on the court. Yeah, and he's from and, yeah, I mean, there too. Yeah, right. Exactly. Yeah. Oh, that that was a big part of the narrative too. Is that he was it's a smart Asian guy or whatever. <laughs> and like, and whether right or wrong, I mean, I obviously there's generalizations yeah. and there's kind of you know prejudices that go you know evolve with that. But the Jason Williams stuff, yeah, I think it was a phenomenon because and and we'll talk about it later. His jersey sold like crazy, and I don't think if it was just a and and that I don't mean that to be you know racist or anything, but let's let's be honest. If he was just a black guy doing that sort of stuff. I don't know if his jersey would have been the number one selling, but it was the fact that it was different and unique and weird or whatever. I, I don't think that's wrong. I, I think that's absolutely what fueled a lot of the sensation yeah, although, at the beginning. I mean, I will say that he was flashy for a player, black or white. I mean, he really was. Oh, no, like, I agree. Like, I, mean, no, I mean, you know, the, the way he played was novel. It wasn't like he played like every, you know, um, like – you know, your average black point guard at the time or anything like that. I mean, he was, you know, for, for anybody, he was playing it just at a completely different way. I wouldn't say quite a different level because his play wasn't really actually that, that strong as we, you know, you will look into and we look at the numbers a bit, but, um, but certainly just, you know, stylistically, he was on a different level than certainly. just about anybody playing at, you know, at the time. And, you know, I would say he had some difficulty sort of living up to the attention that he got from there. You know, he was involved with some controversies, you know, engaging with fans, uh, cursing at them. There's one time where he used a a racial slur. He also had a marijuana suspension, which kind of Mm -hmm. followed up from some that he had in college as he moved on to uh, Memphis and 
Miami Heat. He kind of became more, he seemed, seemed to mature, at least in how he acted on and off the court. Um, you know, uh, be, became an unlikely pair with Hubie Brown, helped lead them to their first success, the Memphis Grizzlies, uh, then became an NBA champion with the mm-hmm. Miami Heat. And um, and with one last strong year in Orlando, um, actually did re- he actually retired and then came back and played uh, one year for Orlando and then had another year splitting between the Magic and Grizzlies to uh, end his career. Um, but yeah, I mean, he just had some of the most incredible highlight plays. I mean, Oh, certainly. You know, stuff like throwing alley-oops from behind midcourt, behind the back off of one hand, and then the elbow pass to a teammate on a fast break, you know, behind the back near the three-point line, pass a defender to a a teammate who hits a layup in stride, Um, a bounce pass from midcourt between two defenders to a teammate (laughs) who hits a layup in stride, just stuff like that. I mean, I had to watch that one. I I was watching that earlier, and I had to rewind that one, like, twice. I'm like, how does nobody just, like, get a hand up? And it's just... It's just perfect. It's like unbelievable. I mean, and it is from one end of the court to the other. And it's per- it's unbelievable how perfect it was. Yeah. And, you know, there are, you know, obviously there are many point guards who have, you know, done some of this stuff and, you know, who just make these, you know, incredible highlights, not, not just point guards, you know, somebody like Larry Bird or just, you know, lots of players who have that court vision, but he just had, I think he combined that with just an attitude and a look and, um, you know, he was this, just this skinny guy who didn't like, look like, you know, he was really any threat to do anything on the court. And he was just, you know, doing these, you know, just this, this flashy, you know, uh, fascinating stuff. And it definitely, uh, um, you know, made him interesting, made his team interesting for the, you know, helped make his team interesting for the first time in a long time. There are other um, points as well, but, um, but yeah, you know, he um, n- maybe not necessarily a great career, but definitely an interesting career and mm-hmm. uh, was a, you know, a colorful character and definitely a guy worth examining. Certainly. Yeah. I'm, I'm definitely looking forward to looking, you know, a little bit because we've mentioned before that those Kings teams were just super fascinating and, and, and the rise to power for them and, and, and just kind of the, the national sensation they became. And I think a lot of that was, you know, obviously their biggest success came later with, uh, you know, Mike Bibby in, instead of Jason Williams. But I think he was a big part of putting them on the map because he just added another element of character. I mean, that more than anything, I mean, they were a great basketball team, but there was just so many like interesting characters on there. I mean, you have Vladdy and Peja and, and, you know, Rick Adelman was a character into himself and, 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 you know, him and Jason Williams obviously couldn't have been more opposites. And, and we'll find out, you know, sort of how that happened as well, but just, just a super fascinating career. Yeah. Maybe not a great career, but one that's definitely going to be interesting to sort of talk about. Absolutely. So we're going to uh, we're gonna talk with uh, one of the bosses here at Hardwick Paroxysm, uh, Jared Dubin. We're going to uh, you know he he's a big J Will fan as well. I can't believe I called him J Will instead of White Chocolate. How how dare I? That's it's okay. No, they're interchangeable. Okay, they're okay. all right. Fair enough. All right, it's short. I, I call him J Will. Is, so I still to this day call it him is, J Will. It so is shorter, okay. so that has that can yeah. be. I'm not really a big fan of like the first initial first part. Yeah, of last he was name, one of the first. He was he was he was one of the first though. I'll let him slide. Yeah, because it, it's gotten ridiculous ridiculous now yeah. but he's he's one of the patriarchs he, it's all he and slide. t-mac are probably okay but you know right t-mac is absolutely acceptable as yeah well. but but yeah those generally are not my favorite nicknames but anyway no they, they've gotten really old and bad so and we're we're gonna back <laughs> we're gonna take a little break we're gonna talk with with jared for a little while and uh so uh come oh, 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 that doesn't give you goose pimples nothing will and that is one of the great passes of the young nba career from jason williams 
His pass is stolen away, and it's Williams again. Working on Chapman behind the back of Beauty. Phenomenal pass to Weber. Another ooh, and an ah, and a how about that? Starts his move, lost the handle, pops it up right to Jason Williams. Williams crosses over, loses Gary, drives it into the lane, arcs the high one off the window, up and in. What a move by Jason Williams. What I'm seeing right here is a guy that's not afraid to play against anybody. We're back here on the Over and Back Classic NBA Podcast. We're joined by a very special guest, a guy who who basically demanded that we put him on here. I think we we Jason, I don't recall the exact thing. I know that you said who was the other player that you recommended us. It was going possibly. It was going to be Penny Hardaway. Okay, so you said uh, we can either do Penny Hardaway or Jason Williams, and this guy immediately said it's Jason Williams, and I'm coming on right now. <laughs> is essentially the, the, the uh, basically what it was. Uh, we had Jared Dubin on here. You can find him on Grantland, The Cauldron, Bleacher Report, obviously the Hardwood Paroxysm family, Hoop Chalk, a bunch of other stuff. You can follow him on Twitter at jadubin5. Jared, how are you? I'm doing well, guys. Thanks for having me. And I got to say, even if you had done Penny Hardaway, I would have demanded to come on that podcast too. Well, why, why were you so at? Oh, so you just want to come on regardless. It's not well, just because no, I, I – it, it actually was just those two players – <laughs> are two players that I'm very, very passionate about. Right, well, Penny was my favorite player growing up uh, when I was a kid, You know, even though he wasn't on the Knicks. Uh, Penny was my favorite player. I had those uh, those one-cent shoes, uh, obviously. And then, you know, just white chocolate. I mean, we'll, we'll talk enough about him. Uh, I don't think I'll have to explain by the end of the podcast why I liked him so much. But... <laughs> The two players that you guys threw out there, I was like, oh, my God, this is my podcast. Well, we're glad you uh, took the choice. We'll do Penny Hardaway down the line because he's a guy I, I very much want to talk about as well. So we'll have to have you uh, have you back for that. If We're, we're going to talk about some controversial things, I think, over the next few minutes. So if the rancor doesn't get too bitter you know, at, at the end of it, then I think we'll have you back. <laughs> we'll have to see how that goes. But uh, so, yeah, I mean. He really was like I honestly like 1999. I was not really following the NBA closely. I, I I've been on and off fan for the past gosh 20 25 years, but that was definitely just kind of maybe the year in which I was following at the least. So really, the whole Jason Williams sensation was kind of a uh, something I had to like kind of look back on and realize like <clears throat> what a sensation he was his rookie year. Just you know what, like you know, when you first saw this guy, if if you remember that, or you know, when he first kind of became that famous, that lockout year, nineteen ninety nine. You know, what did you think of him? Sure. Well, you know, obviously that was the lockout year. So everything that happened in that season was so strange. Like it was so condensed. They played fifty games in like four months. It was crazy. Like if you think that sixty six game season a couple of years ago was nuts. Like try playing 50 games in half the time. Um, it was, it was really, really weird. And I mean, to have this guy like this, this little white dude with like the, he had like an Iverson type attitude to him on the court. And that's sort of what, what drew me to him at first as a, as a kid, I always loved the very, angry players in every sport. Um, you know, my parents would tell you that's because I was one of those players <laughs> in, in every sport. You know, like I, I loved uh, Randy Moss. I loved Terrell Owens. I loved Michael Irvin. I loved Keisha Johnson. Like those were my favorite football players. And in basketball, it was like Iverson. I loved Jason Williams. You know, I, I was uh, 11 and 12 years old in his rookie season. 
So this was like the time that I was really falling in love with basketball. Like, you know, I had obviously started to like it and, and, and love it before that. You know, the Knicks went to the finals when I was seven. And then I went to the All-Star game for the NBA's 50th anniversary two years later. And then, you know, now I'm like in prime time. I'm in middle school um, going to bar mitzvahs and buying myself like every jersey imaginable. And this guy just captivated me so much because of his attitude and like just the things that he could see on the court that nobody else could. It just was, you know, mind-boggling to me. I, I think that's that's interesting. You said your age because it's similar to me, uh, the age I was when when I first saw Jason Williams in, in 1999, and, and more in like 2000 uh, to 2001 is where I really became a big fan. How how much? Because I know this was one of my big things. We're, we'll talk about it here on the podcast as well. Of he was a guy that when I watched him, and especially at that age, you know, I'm trying to find guys and and that I love and guys to sort of emulate. He was the guy that I remember my friends and I would, would download, you know, videos on Kazaa or LimeWire or whatever the hell the horrible like file share system was there and get like 200 by 200 horrible low res and, and watch some of these plays and then go out to his driveway and do them. Did you ever get influenced by Jason? Was there like when you went out and played, did you try the stuff that he did? Like the passes between the legs, the elbow pass, that sort of stuff. Did he, did he influence you at all in the way you played? I still, to this day, every time I play pickup with my friends, <laughs> when one of them is shooting and I am rebounding, if they make it, the first time they make it, I will throw it back to them with an elbow pass every yep. single time. <laughs> I'm, I'm right with you. I miss it more times than not, but it's okay. I've actually gotten I used, I used really to be a lot better at, at it, it because but... I've done oh, it okay. so many times. Like I would, you know, practice in my driveway with my brother. Like I would, you know, we had a hoop in the driveway and I would drive towards the basket and then try to do the elbow pass. I mean, I was very, very, very not good at it back in the day. But now I say I hit it like 75, 80% of the time. That's impressive. I, so do you have, obviously the elbow pass is one of like the calling cards, but is there like a, any, are there any specific highlight plays that like stand out to you as just ones that, you know, are our favorites or ones that, you know, um, blew you away at the time? Yeah, I, re- I can't remember what team it was against, but he was on a fast break and he looked like he was going to do a behind-the-back pass, but he dribbled it, and it went all the way around his body and through his other leg back to his same hand. I think it, was, it might have been against the Lakers. Um, so he's streaking down, like, the right side of the court with, I think it was Doug Christie on the left on a two-on-one. And he fakes like he's going for a behind-the-back pass, but instead of that, he wraps it all the way around and it literally goes around his back and then through his leg in the front of his body, and he puts up a one-handed layup. So that's the thing that stands out, other than the elbow pass to me the most. One thing that's a little fascinating about Jason Williams, and, and, and probably the most, where you get a guy that obviously he comes in the league, and as we're mentioning here, he's a sensation, he's flashy, you're mentioning plays, you know, everybody's got, you know, there's the elbow pass, and everyone's got their kind of favorite Jason Williams stuff. I know earlier today I was just watching highlight videos, and my jaw was dropping at some of the stuff he could do, and, you know, going back and looking at that. But what's kind of funny is a lot of fans, if they know him sort of recently or came in, you, you know, maybe they, they didn't watch in, in the early 2000s, maybe jumped in in the mid-2000s, Jason Williams was still around, but it was ba- it, it was not the same guy at all. I mean, you talk about the, the reliable sort of point guard for the Heat. Very, you know, it still had elements of the flash, but not as much. Can you kind of describe a little bit of, you know, obviously as you grew up as a fan, he sort of seemed to grow up as a player in a sense, correct? Somewhat. Um, one thing that struck me, you know, I I looked over his, his basketball reference page, um, you know, while I was getting ready to jump on with you guys. 
Um, he was much worse in terms of like his impact and his actual quality of play than I remember. Like just a, in an objective sense, like he shot under forty percent from the field for his career and under thirty three percent from three. You know, like that's very poor numbers. Um, you know, he was a bit of a phenomenon, and he came along right at the right era where, you know, you were still able to be, like, an outrageously celebratory player on the court. Um, and, and he was just so good at it and so good at making plays that shouldn't have been able to be made and doing it by being fancy that it made him seem like he was a better player than he actually was. Um, and then, you know, sort of as he grew up, he became, it was, I guess he was just less flashy about it because he wasn't as quick with anything, whether it was his dribble or his passing or anything like that. Um, but I don't think he ever really got more solid and dependable. Uh, you know, in terms of the quality of his play, he just didn't do as much fancy stuff mm -hmm. as he got older. Yeah, he may have shot a little better here and there and uh, turned the ball over a little bit less. And but yeah, I mean, I, I think that's a pretty good point. I mean, it, it, I mean, the phenomenon reminds me a little bit of Linsanity as far as just the hype exceeding the actual play. I mean, I guess for a while, Lynn was playing really exceptionally well, but um, it is interesting how, um, I mean, that, that, that does feel like, you know, a, a pretty similar phenomenon to me. Yeah, I think that there are some similarities. And I think you also have to remember, um, you know, the, the white point guards he was being compared to at the time when he came into the league were guys like John Stockton who was about as different stylistically from Williams as you could possibly get, um, specifically in terms of, you know, like the way they ran, uh, not, not necessarily ran the offense, but the way they, um, you know, got the ball where it needed to be offensively. You know, even though they were both running a ton of pick and rolls, uh, you know, Stockton and Malone were the reason that you couldn't stop them was because they were so precise and so practiced and knew exactly where the other one was going to be without looking or feeling or thinking or anything. And Williams was almost the exact opposite. The reason that the Kings were so tough to stop when he was out there was because you absolutely never knew what he was going to do. And he could come around a screen and, I mean, the ball would just – you know, before you could even think to try to put your hands up, it was already in C Webb's hands and he was dunking it. I mean, so the the hype was I think a lot of it was just because the things he was doing were things that nobody would ever think to do. Uh, one one thing that I had a, a kind of a question about for Jason Williams, and, and and obviously you sort of answered it a little bit at the beginning when you talked about the influence that he had, and I, you know I talked about the influence he had for me. Do you think he had a cultural impact on you know maybe not as a whole in the in the in the national spectrum, but possibly for you know like young white children, you know what I mean? Where, where there's sort of this idea that like there's point guards like John Stockton and there's guys like that that are super fundamental and super that. Where then you have a guy, you know, you know he's a little white guy and he comes in there and he's doing stuff that just blows people's mind and it's he's stylistic 
stylistically different than what you would sort of get. And and this is a generalization, you know, for a lot of ways, but you get a little bit of a Pete Maravich style there. Do you think Jason Williams had any sort of cultural impact on, you know, obviously you and I were, were impacted by him, but do you think it's larger than that? Um, I don't know. Um, you know, I know he definitely impacted um, me and my friends and the way that we played um, mm-hmm. even beyond, you know, that period of five or six years when he, in addition to being sort of a, I, I don't necessarily want to go to the level of phenomenon, but, you know, there was a lot of attention paid to him, you know, even beyond that five or six year period, um, he still impacted the way uh, my friends and I were playing all the time. And we would, you know, even when we were playing like two on two or something like that, we would try to do like Jason Williams type stuff. Um, and, and I don't think necessarily that that impact, you know, was limited to, um, suburban white kids you know obviously you know i did live in the suburbs but you know not all of my friends were white and you know even uh you know my friend who um you know he eventually wound up being the center on our high school team he grew to be you know six foot six and then he wound up playing college football but you know he would try to do white chocolate stuff too you know it's Mm -hmm. it was not um necessarily limited to white kids um but I do think, you know, if you look at a guy like Ricky Rubio, um, even if he wouldn't say the influence is directly there, I think in just the way he attacks things offensively, where when he sees a passing lane that you shouldn't be able to get the ball there, the way he gets it there is by making some crazy pass that you would never think of to make. So I think that that's sort of the logical extension of the way Williams played, even if Rubio doesn't necessarily, um, you know, attribute it to that, or maybe even have watched that when he was growing up. So we have a, uh, we have a few Twitter questions um, that, uh, that are interesting from our, uh, from our followers on Twitter and probably listeners. Um, First from um, Stingy at at A I G H T though though I have a hard time saying it but anyway <laughs> um, is the elbow pass the most creative pass in basketball history? Oof, I mean in basketball history. Um, <laughs> yeah, that's that's big. I mean, probably, but there you could make arguments for any number of others. Like I remember, I can't remember who it was, but I remember someone, um, you know, catching the ball off a free throw and then making like a bowling ball pass down the court with like spin on it. And it spun around like three guys and hit a guy on a fast break. I can't remember who made the pass, but I mean, I remember that being just as creative as the elbow pass. But I feel like other guys could have done that, and nobody else would have ever thought to do the elbow thing like like Jay Will did. Yeah, and if, you know, like a guy like Bob Cousy, um, maybe not inventing, but popularizing behind the back passes, that kind of thing. Uh, right. You know, different time period, but uh, yeah, you know, the, the first guy who thought of the behind the back pass, you know, might get some props as well. Well, you know what? I, another nominee. I remember Mark Jackson when he was on the Raptors. Um, was doing his, you know, back down, starting at half court, all the way down to the baseline nonsense that he used to do. And then uh, he took two dribbles into the middle of the paint and while facing completely the opposite way, threw the ball with two hands over his head 
backwards to, I think, one of the Davis brothers for a dunk under the basket. That was <laughs> preposterous. I remember seeing that and just being like, that's not a human thing that people can do. One of my favorite, actually, it's interesting. I don't know if it would be the, the most creative, and I don't know if uh... – what your thoughts are, if you remember this one, actually, was uh, one that Jay Will did that, that I remember just loving was he, he did it. He faked a crossover and then chucked it to the, the basically the baseline where, where I think Weber was down there, but then spun around as he did it just to give him like this insane amount of momentum. But it froze everybody because everybody thinks he's going between his legs to do a crossover. And instead, he just whips it down like and it just rifles between like three guys and goes and like I think Weber didn't even know it was going to go to him either because you could see sort of his shock. And then he like immediately just dunks it in or whatever. And that's one that I still to this day still use because it's just it's super like nobody sees it coming because they don't expect you to pass it in that situation where you know the the, the elbow pass was kind of it's a fast break and it's 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 i mean you, knowing him and if you watch that there's a video on, on youtube that i put out to our our twitter file here that said it, it's of that all-star game where he does his elbow pass and it's called jason williams is incapable of like throwing a, a chess pass because they just show every clip of the game and he just will not throw a normal pass like even if the guy's like right next to him or it's like an inbound he goes behind the back like he just would refuse to do it but that's one that always kind of into my mind as, as being super creative. Oh, I agree with you, and I'm pretty sure, like, right after that, he makes, like, some crazy-looking face. Oh, he knows it, too. Yeah, and, he just chucks uh, it, and then he just turns to the crowd and starts yeah. screaming, because he's just like, hell yeah, like, I just did that. I, I remember <laughs> watching that highlight, and I think that, you know, yeah. that pass, specifically, goes back to what I talked about before, you know, the reason that, not necessarily the reason they were so tough to stop, but the reason that you know, he made them even tougher to stop was because you never could get a read on what he was going to do because he just did things that, that didn't make sense and nobody else would ever think of to do. Well, that sort of transitions into a, a, a question of from um, Adam Kriblet. Um, uh, the Kings were more exciting with Williams than Bibby, but were they better? <sighs> I think no. I mean, they were, I'm pretty sure that they were more efficient offensively after the trade. Um, I think that, I think on a single possession, they were better with Williams, but throughout the course of a game and a season, it was tougher to stop them and they were a better team with Bibby is the answer I'll go with. Yeah. Because in a single possession, there was so much variance with Williams that, you know, he could come out with a possession that was just literally impossible to stop. Yeah, and and to bear that out a little bit, you know, in the his Williams's last season there, they were fifty-five and twenty-seven, and were swept by the Lakers in the second round. The following season, oh two, they won sixty-plus games and made it to the conference finals and almost beat the Lakers. Um, you know, were the closest team to beating the Lakers in that, you know, that 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 three-peat they had in the early two thousands. So. Um, I, I think I agree that probably Bibby was just, you know, maybe a little bit better of taking care of the ball, maybe a little bit better at, you know, um, of an outside shooter as well, probably, um, you know, kind of fit what they were going for better than Williams ended up, ended up doing. I don't know. What do you think, Rich? Uh, yeah, I agree. And just to clarify as well, you, you mentioned the, the offensive efficiency. I think it was, they went from, uh, they were the year prior, I got to fire it up. Uh, the, the year when Bibby came in, they were 109, so it was third in the league. 
on offensive fishery, and then they were 105.6 uh, the last year with Williams. So, so definitely it helped there. I mean, there could have been other factors, but yeah, I agree. And I remember that at the time, that was sort of what everybody kind of assumed. And a lot of it wasn't because of, and we're going to talk a little bit you know, later in this when I do some advanced stat stuff. A lot of it wasn't necessarily the turnovers as much as it was he took dumb shots and he took bad shots and wasn't good at those shots. And that, that I think was the big difference with Bibby where, and especially if you look at the, at, at, you know, the seasons with Bibby, he was a guy that went down to, you know, in the stretch to, you know, game winning buckets and stuff when it wasn't Chris Weber or, you know, sometimes, you know, Peja, it, a lot of times it was Bibby and you just could not trust Jason Williams in that sort of situation. So I think that had a lot more to do with than the kind of the turnover. So yeah, I do, I think that they were, I mean, the proof is in the put. I mean, they were way more successful with Bibby than Williams, but yeah, it is kind of interesting. I mean, certainly more exciting, and there's other factors. But yeah, I would almost say they probably were probably better with Bibby than than with Williams, but but not as big of a difference, I, I, really. Yeah, I mean they were. Yeah, they, uh, I'm with you guys on that yeah, one. Yeah. Um. So Brett Ben Swanson at Cardboard Gerald asks, "How disappointed was he?" And I I can extrapolate. Are we that they <laughs> did nickname jerseys after he retired? Oh my god. <laughs> that would have been incredible. Oh. Highest seller, no doubt. Yeah, yeah. The only the only issue, I guess, is getting white chocolate on the back of the uh, jersey. You know, that's that's a uh, you know what? A, a, I don't a think, mouthful. I don't think they would have let him do. They would have let him do. Actually, back oh, then, it would have been Jay Will. Ugh, it back would've then, they would have let him do white chocolate. These days, he would be <laughs> Jay Will. Yeah. yeah. Nobody wants a Jay Will jersey. That's no, crap. Wants a I actually have a Jay Will jersey. I mean, it, does, <laughs> it doesn't say Jay Will. Right. But it says Williams. Yeah, I have it yeah, from yeah. Memphis. Sure. Oh wow! I, I, jersey, I have the black. But, you know, you don't want a you want a Williams jersey, but you don't want a Jay Will jersey. No, no. I have a. Is that the only uh, Jason Williams jersey you own then? Uh, it is now. I had a Kings one. Um, my mom, when I uh, my freshman year of college, a bunch of stuff that I left in my room at home, she decided that she was going to throw out, including oh, no. like probably twenty five or thirty old jerseys. Oh. And to that point, every issue of Slam Magazine ever made. Oh. That... So you don't talk to her. I'm assuming you're not going there for, <laughs> for Thanksgiving. So I'll assume that she will not be getting a visit from you. <laughs> no, but uh, I had – was it the black one? It had to be the black one. That was the only one, right? Oh, uh, the King's jersey? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I had oh, yeah. I had him in black, and I had Mitch Richmond in white. <laughs> That's great. Nice. And I had C Web on the bullets. Oh boy! Wow. Well, these are. I had Gary I Payton I would, on the side. I have to see him to believe him. I had I, I Jordan have with the. Him. I had Jordan with the the script Chicago on red, and then in the pinch black pinstripe forty five. <laughs> um, I mean, I had such good jerseys. It was like ridiculous. I had Penny Hardaway. Started for you. I'm glad. I had. Um, talk about it. Yeah, talk. I about had it. Barkley. That like ugly. Blue and red with the weird-looking rocket on the front. Oh, yeah. Um, I also had Barkley on the Suns. Um, I had Kevin Johnson, the black Suns jersey. Oh, my God. I mean, I had Gary Payton on the Sonics. Um, oh, man, I, I can't remember all of them. Did, did you, I, had, I, I was that Knicks fan that didn't have Ewing or Starks, but I had Mason and Oakley. <laughs> um, oh, I had such good jerseys. Did you have late 90s Sonics uh, or early 90s Sonics? Mid 90s Sonics. So after the change? Um, I think it might have been right before. It was still oh, like okay. it had like the white stripe in the middle. 
Yeah, that's the much better one. Okay, yeah, yeah. it's not the not the red and orange and black and no, 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 <laughs> green. No. Oh yeah, yeah, those, those were those were terrible. Yeah, and um, you know what, my friend, um, one of them had a Gary Payton Sonics jersey, and the other one had a Ray Allen Bucks jersey. And then when they were traded for each other, they both bought the other one and and traded them. <laughs> nice. So uh, I last question, and it's definitely going to be the I think the most controversial is oh, um, this one. from uh, <laughs> from Thomas Wren Jr. at T Wren nineteen. Where does actual white chocolate rank in terms of your favorite chocolate? Last. What, what what's your what's your chocolate power rankings? Then? Yeah, let's okay, let's yeah. So let's, let's we're gonna go. I'm gonna consider you know chocolate with things in it is like still that kind of chocolate. So for example, like a crackle bar is still milk chocolate and like a Snickers is still milk chocolate. So the, the chocolates I'm ranking here are white chocolate, milk chocolate, and dark chocolate. Is there any other things that I even have to get through? Like uh, we found sweet chocolate were another was another one, but that's mostly baking types. So yeah, no, if we're, if we're talking strictly like candy. White chocolate is last, and it's it's really not even close, honestly. The only good kind of white chocolate is when you get that um, – it's like the the Hershey bar that's like uh, cookies and cream. Right, the cookies and cream uh, Hershey, yeah. Yeah, all other white chocolate can get out of here. Like that's not even – Even if it's surrounded uh, in a pretzel, is that still – No, that is the one okay. exception. Okay, I was gonna say because those I I, I am Any with you on that. Any kind of chocolate and pretzel is okay. Legit. Okay, I just wanted it's to clarify that because I think that's a big yeah. Have you ever, <laughs> either of you guys ever had Rice Krispie treats with white chocolate uh, surrounding the Rice Krispies? No, but oh my god, that sounds good. It, it sounds like a Christmas it's, thing. It's, is that, the, is that... it's delightful. I I think it's I think that somebody I used to work with used to bring them in during Christmas time. Yeah, it seems like because then you can make it like a Frosty the Snowman or something like that. It's okay. You can put like red and green sprinkles on it. That might happen tonight, so I will I will let you know after tonight what my thoughts are because I think that might have to happen. That sounds, oh God, sounds so unbelievable. Good. Yeah. Um, anyway, um, so <laughs> white chocolate is last, milk chocolate is second, and dark chocolate is number one. No. I mean, I I can't abide Incorrect. by anybody who doesn't like Incorrect. dark chocolate. I mean, I think it's nonsense if you don't like dark chocolate. Jason, your thoughts? Well, I like dark chocolate usually combined with things, but if I'm just having chocolate by itself, I guess I probably prefer milk chocolate over dark chocolate, but I don't know. Like, I'm usually more of a chocolate in combination with other items. So there's, um, you know, I don't know. I don't don't quite have a hot take here, I'm sad to say, (laughs) you know. Um, I think, you know what, I think I'm with you. Like, when you're eating it with something else, then I would say milk chocolate is better. But when you're eating it by itself, I go with dark chocolate. Yeah. Like if you're going to eat, um, you know, like uh, I'm trying to think. So like chocolate covered pretzels, I think I'd go with milk chocolate. Or like if you're choosing between a regular Kit Kat or a dark chocolate Kit Kat, you go with the regular Kit Kat. But if you're just going to sit down and eat some chocolate from like one of those uh, fancy chocolate places, I think I go with the dark chocolate. Well, Jason, I have a bit of a hot take, and, and Jared, I, I know you're going to vehemently disagree. Uh, dark chocolate's the worst, and anybody who likes it is wrong, and I don't trust them, so oh my there God. I said it. 
Uh, yeah. You know what? We might have to cancel the, uh, <laughs> We're the just ensuing gonna... Penny Hardaway podcast. <laughs> That's I won't come for that one. You you and Jace could talk, and you could talk about I'm Dark I'm not Chocolate sure if we could be on the book. same air anymore. <laughs> and, it's just the worst. I mean, let's be honest. I mean, yeah. It just tastes burnt. It just. I mean, like, there's nothing worse than getting, like, a Milky Way dark. That's the worst thing ever, right? I, I would not say it's the worst Listen, thing ever. There, it's there the worst. I would, worse I would, things I can think of that are there worse. There is nothing worse in the world than Milky Way Dark. I uh, I mean, I didn't want to have to go <laughs> to this level. But, I mean, you know that, like, I run the network for this podcast. I do. I don't care. I'm going out. I'm going back on some places. Or, I mean, at, at least I help run it ostensibly. Yeah. And, I mean... Well, I, have, I will, I will get a, there good there episodes, there guys. No, no, it was you know what? There's gonna be a mutiny because I'm gonna have enough of the people that don't like dark chocolate on my on my there side because well, there's gotta be a, there can't just be me. Dark chocolate, I, I will admit, is very divisive. It's very um, polarizing. <laughs> but I, you know, I think I mean I like it because you know. So my dad is not a big chocolate guy, so the only other person in my family that eats a lot of chocolate is my mom, and she loves dark chocolate. So like my whole life, I've been eating it. So I think if if you grew up eating it a lot, you're, I think feel like you're going to be naturally bound to like it more than someone who didn't. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and my mom is a huge fan, but I would usually just tell her she's wrong. And, and, and we had this conversation, then I, I didn't live with her, you know, after she kicked me out of the house when I was three. So well, I've told my mother so she's wrong about a great many things, specifically <laughs> about throwing out all of my stuff when I moved to college. Exactly, yeah, as I was going to say, I mean, but this is one thing that I do agree with her on. Dark chocolate is fantastic. <laughs> I've been looking for whatever reason. I've been looking at the Whoppers uh, webpage, the malted milk balls, um, okay. during this entire time, and, and really wanting a Whopper right now. Oh, I have a lot left over from Halloween, so if you want, I can I can send them to you. All right. I, so if you can have them all, I find I think they're my entire. I have a I have a pumpkin in my kitchen right now. It's just filled to the gill because because I bought like there was something that had like four really good things and it had Whoppers, yeah. which are awful, and I think we can all agree except for Jason yeah. apparently. But. I um and I, I I've actually now, never had a Whopper. Oh, don't. I'm, You're good. I'm now wondering what a dark chocolate Whopper would be like, you know. Um, it, yeah, Whoppers Maybe have the malted flavor, the cr- crunchy malt flavor in the uh, middle, which I don't like malts like when you have, you know, like instead of a shake. Anyone who makes a, a choice of malt over a shake, I don't understand you. But I do like the malt inside <laughs> chocolate. So, Well, we're, we're opposite in there. I love it. Uh, basically, have you ever had a malt ball, uh, Jared? Um, I don't know. I don't think so. They're not very good. You're okay. They're excellent. But, I mean, it. listen, this is this is America. If you like a malt over a shake, you might as well get the hell out of here. Oh, man. I do. There you go. I'm just a weird – I'll see myself out. You guys – you take it from here, Jason. I'll see you guys later. All right. So I'll – the file. I'll just – what I'll do, I'll put my headset down. I'll give you the file, and then we can just call this a day. But I'm glad we had this discussion. All I'm right. Glad, uh... I'm, glad we, I'm glad you could go out and in blaze of glory, Rick. That's, that's very good. All right. It's well, been nice knowing you. Yeah, no, thank you. I appreciate the opportunity. <laughs> Much, so. but, uh, is this going to be like a retirement uh, – a retirement on retirement like Jason Williams in 2011? Or I'm sorry, 2009? Oh, look at that. Are you are you back in a little while? You know. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, yes. just don't file paperwork. That was his mistake. So. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Jared. You know what, well, though? like real quickly before sure. we go, of course. Um, that one season with the Heat. I mean, I know he had a couple, but I'm pretty sure his first season with the Heat, like that season, he was legit really good. Yeah. Like I'm pretty sure he shot like really well that season too like that was the one season where you know in addition to all the other stuff he did he shot well too yeah he had a, he had a, a 56 uh, true shooting there and his next career high was let me sort this here it's 
going to be uh, 50. Yeah, 55 is one year in Orlando, but um, yeah, like the, the all the Sacramento seasons, he was hovering like under 50%. Yeah. So. The Orlando shot... year, though, he um, he didn't play nearly as much. No, no. He played a lot of games, Actually, but didn't. Uh, he, well, no, he, he, did he, he? Played, um, he played 1,700 minutes in Orlando and played 1874 in the first year of Miami. He was hurt a lot. Um, in Miami. Right, that Miami year, he he missed like 25 games or something. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, and where he played all 82 games in the Orlando year, even though he was reserved. So, yeah, um, yeah he shot 37% from three the first year in Miami. Uh, he actually shot 38% of that year in Orlando. Um, that was actually a stronger year than I realized. But, um, but, but yeah, he, he did. Um, the efficiency started to kind of go up um, his last two years in Memphis too, and then. Um, uh, at least, you know, overall three point range. He def that that those couple of years were definitely his highlights. And he did get better at that later in in his career, but um, he was really weak early in his career. The first four seasons in particular, but yeah, um, definitely. The, yeah. the game I remember most from that first Miami year was um, the clinching game of the East Finals. Yeah, he, against Detroit. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think he had had. I want to say he scored like 25 points or something like that. Yeah, he made like 10 shots in a row. Yeah, he was he was awesome in that game. Like that I feel like that was I mean, it was very upsetting because it came on the heat, but that was like a game where I was like, "Yes, Jason Williams is vindicated." Uh, <laughs> but that, I mean, you know, I was in Miami at the time too. You know, that was my my freshman year of college. Oh, okay. Um so I was going to uh, a bunch of those games because one of my friends had tickets. Um, yeah, he, uh, he he shot ten of twelve and and scored twenty one points. Ten of twelve for Jason Williams. That's uh, wow. There it is. Okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah, twenty one points. Yeah, wow. That was yeah. I, I didn't. Yeah, I'm, I'm looking at. I mean, we, we did a little bit of research here, but yeah, you really don't realize how good his like kind of last. I mean, not not good in the sense of of sort of. You know, ju- based off what he did previously, but yeah, I mean, those Orlando and, and Heat years were. were Better than I thought. Yeah, he yeah. I mean, yeah, he he settled into that role and played it pretty well. You know, I mean that which is kind of an interesting place for him to go. I mean, maybe more boring as a player to watch and as you know as a an interesting guy. But 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 you know, as far as being more effective, he certainly you know filled that role pretty well. Yeah, I mean, you know, we didn't talk about his defense at all. Obviously, there was <laughs> no. We don't have to. That's he left okay. something to be desired, but. Um, Obviously, you know, the, the, the Sacramento years and even the Memphis years um, were, were sort of the, the peak of William's sanity. Um, but he might have been, you know, more I don't, I don't want to say more effective because he was definitely still more effective in Sacramento. But he was, you know, more conducive to winning maybe when he yeah. when he went to Miami, especially in that first year, just because, um, you know, his role was so minimized. Um, because they had Shaq and they had Wade and they had uh, Antoine Walker, Ant- Antoine, and they, I think they even had m- maybe still had Eddie. No, they didn't have Eddie Jones because he was in the Shaq trade. Yeah. Um, they had other uh, Posey was there. Posey, like that's who was there. Was. Yeah. yeah, I remember. Um, so that that first time they won the finals, like I'll never forget Mike Brain um, doing the call. Uh, Posey hit like a corner three. I can't remember who it was against in the playoffs. But this this kid that I uh, I worked with a couple summers later, uh, when I was interning somewhere, he used to do an impression of Mike Breen making the call of like Wade's pass to Posey, and it was like the best Mike Breen impression I've ever heard. <laughs> <laughs> we'll have to get him on. 
Yeah, I mean, I don't even remember the kid's name. <laughs> you find it. Well, you go find it out. Yeah. Oh, you know what? I remember it. His, his name was Elliot Pines. And, All right. Uh, we, Searching him right now. We used to call him E Dirty. <laughs> that's a good nickname. Not quite as good as White Chocolate, but that's pretty good. I'm pretty sure he was in my phone as E Dirty Pines. Wait. Did, oh, wait a minute. What? Where would he have gone to school? Not to be a total creep, but uh, I have no idea where he went to school. Uh, if it's, I mean, this is the age of the guy. He is currently the coordinator of basketball operations at the NBA Developmental League. No way. I'm, I'm, I swear, I'm looking at it right now. Elliot Pines, coordinator of basketball operations, NBA Development League. That's it. Got him. How do you spell Pines? Uh, P I N E S. Yeah, but I don't think that he is that. Was he? Yeah, I don't know. He was a promotions Maybe. intern at the Madison Square Garden, a sponsorship intern. At, the guy's a. Jet He's setter. Legend. I don't know. Yeah. Everyone else, it's this Elliot Pines. So <laughs> oh, I, I found him on Facebook. He went to NYU. Yep, this is him. Oh my god. E30. So we can get him. <laughs> e30. That's hilarious. I, I feel like yeah. I feel like cereal right now. We're just like uncovering like you know people's past, <laughs> and uh, you know it's all going to make sense in a big narrative later. Listen, I mean, I'm not a reliable narrator, though. I might be a psychopath. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I, I think it's about as good of a place to uh, wrap it up as uh, <laughs> as we're going to get. Um, but, uh, Jared, anything specific that you want to uh, tell um, listeners of our show about uh, you and what you're doing that uh, we may not have covered in your introduction? Um, no, I think you guys covered it. I'm all over the Internet these days. Um, definitely check out everything across the entire HP Basketball Network. We've got... Hardwood Paroxysm, obviously, you're listening to this podcast on Podium Game. We've got Nylon Calculus, Mid-Level Exceptional, Friendly Bounce, and Upside and Motor. Um, I think I got all six right there. Um, if I didn't, then check out the site that I missed, too. <laughs> um, but obviously, you know, all the podcasts on this site are terrific. You guys do a great job, of course. And um, I'll think about not firing you for not liking... Dark chocolate. That's all I ask. I just, just, just consider it. Just consider it. But, but I, I, I totally understand your justification. But I found, I found what was it? You dirty? <laughs> you did. You, you so did there you go. I, I think, yeah, I, I think that totally makes up for it. It should. I mean, come on. And now you're, you guys. I mean, now he's in the NBA. So there you go. I can't believe that. That's crazy. <laughs> <laughs> all right, Jared. Well, uh, thanks so much for uh, joining us, and we will be back to talk more Jason Williams in just a moment. All right, and we are back. We're going to talk about the early stages of Jason Williams' career. And uh, he was he grew up in the tiny uh, town of Bell in southern West Virginia, uh, actually teamed with uh, Randy Moss um, at uh, DuPont High School. They were a, uh, a famous tandem and they both had uh, some of the same issues with uh, getting a little bit of trouble in school and um, having issues in college that kind of led Randy Moss to play at a small school. I, I believe didn't he play at Marshall, if I'm not mistaken? Uh, yes, he was he was going to go to Florida State and then he, uh, he went to Marshall. Yeah. Yeah. And then uh, Jason, um, not a big fan of school. Um, he uh, <laughs> not surprised. He started. He signed with Providence initially, then was released from his commitment when the coach left for Clemson. And then he enrolled at Marshall, where he played for a season under Billy Donovan, 
And then uh, Donovan went to Florida where he's still coaching, of course, has led, you know, led them to two national titles and a bunch of acclaim. Um, so then Williams had to sit out a season then he got sick of school. He hated it so much that he left school and he went back home to uh, West Virginia. Then his b- father and his his brother prodded him to go back to Florida. Donovan agreed to uh, take him back. And then he ended up failing two marijuana tests and was kicked off the team in uh, February of 98. Uh, he, he said later that he thought he wouldn't be tested again because he failed the first test. So he thought he was done. <laughs> Which, I like the logic. I mean, the logic is good. Yeah. It's, it's not, I don't know if it's sound, but it, I, I get it. I guess. There you go. <laughs> so um, there's an article from the Sacramento Bee from um, June of 98, right after he was drafted. Uh, Jerome James was also drafted uh, along with him, uh, who's going to be mentioned a little bit later in uh, in this podcast. Um he um, his agent basically said, hey, he didn't want to he didn't want to play in a big city. He'd never lived in a city bigger than Gainesville, Florida. So he was happy in Sacramento. <laughs> I guess that's sort of, a, you know, <laughs> an interesting way to put it. But uh, but, you know, good for him. And um, of course, 99 is the lockout. So they don't start playing until um, January of 99. But uh, the Kings are a big surprise that year. They end up uh, 27 and 23 after they were 27 and 55 the prior season. They were first in the uh, league in pace. Um, and they added Chris Weber, Vlade Divac, uh, Petra Stojakovic, and Chris Adelman. They also had Corliss Williamson and Tariq Abdul-Wahad, who had been there before. And amazingly, this is the first winning record for them since 1983, which <laughs> a year they didn't even make the playoffs. Uh, like they, <sighs> they made the playoffs a couple times in between them with losing records. But yeah, that's 16 years without a winning record is a, uh, <laughs> I, you know, I I'm sure there there may be some, you know, the Clippers might have had a longer stretch, but there aren't too many. There can't be too many stretches where that's happened uh, for anything longer than that. Yeah, that that's and I remember that, too. Of, of and, that, and that was one of the big deals about and, and that was what was kind of the cool narratives too around Sacramento is, you know, they always mentioned on, on those, you know, shows that that this this was a guy or a team rather that was supported. The fans always went there, even if they weren't good, even, you know, through thick and thin, they still went there and were finally rewarded with this team. That was not only good, but also one of the most exciting teams in the league. Absolutely. I mean, immediately almost from his arrival in Weber's and all that sort of stuff, almost immediately just now this sensational team that was on national TV all the time, because you, you, you had to watch them because they were just so different and unique and, 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 and really fun. I mean, super young as well, which is another interesting part of that. Yeah, absolutely. And, um, <clears throat> So there's a big buzz around him as a rookie there in February of 99. There's already an SI article about the, him and the Kings. Uh, there's comparisons to Maravich, of course. Um, uh, and uh, talking about his debut at San Antonio where he had uh, 21 points, five steals, three assists. And then Spurs uh, point guard a- Avery Johnson said that rookie almost put me into retirement, which is a, <laughs> a great uh, – I cannot possibly do Avery Johnson's voice, but if you yeah, but, oh, imagine gonna, yeah. in his voice, that that would be good. I have a, I have a friend who can do the Avery Johnson. <laughs> there you go. Maybe, maybe I can give him a call in later. Uh, when we do the Avery Johnson podcast, we'll have – Yeah, we, you know, we, got a, we got a couple of uh, voices that are going to be coming along on the uh, podcast. <laughs> so, uh, Mike Green, we could do Mike Green and Avery Johnson. <laughs> yeah. It could just be a studio. I mean that could just do a whole game and the, <laughs> yeah, the commentator. <laughs> See a studio Some avant-garde uh, over and back podcast we'll be having here, you know. Uh, and then the uh, the writer describes um, uh, watching Williams handle the ball is like hearing Pat Boone sing with James Brown's voice, <laughs> which you know that that's a that's a decent metaphor. 
Yeah, uh, I'll get it. There's an article in the Pittsburgh uh, Post-Gazette about a month later where it talks about, like, uh, Williams just embarrassing Steve Nash, uh, like, destroying him, you know, during a game. And then uh, Nash saying um, that uh, I'm not going to get all of shape because he's doing it to a lot of people. But, you know, if I were in the crowd or in the sideline, maybe I'd be ooing and eyeing too, because then I wouldn't have to concentrate on the next move. Um, and then there's Vlade Diva who compares him to Magic Johnson, who, of course, he played with, just saying that he sees everything. There's not one single angle that he doesn't see. Uh, and then, um, you know, pointing out that the Kings are the uh, highest scoring team in the league, although in pace, they were actually only um, or well, I'm sorry, offensive rating it, it, because of the pace that pushed them up to the most points scored in the league and the mm-hmm. uh and the most points given up, but this is, of course, in time in which pace um, adjusted statistics aren't understood. So uh, they were actually 13th in the league in offensive rating and 18th in defensive rating. So about the yeah. middle of the league in each. Um, yeah, and, and it leads to a lot of, and that's a popular thing among, and it, it happened with D'Antoni in Phoenix as well, is that people just look at the points they allowed per game and go, this is ridiculous. You're allowing, you know, 105 points per game. Like, you can't win like this. And it's like, well, we're, we're also scoring like 110, and, and it really doesn't. I mean, we, we also, but all right, whatever. You know, and now we now I think we, we, we understand that a lot better. Yeah. But at the time, there was always sort of the, let's look at points allowed per game. Oh, my God. And, and, and I remember at the time, even people saying, well, they play fast or whatever, but that was still like, ah, you can't, you know, that won't win in the playoffs you know you, you know you need to slow it down or whatever so there you go um so um there's a la a, a deeper la times profile on him from just a couple weeks later um talking about one of the famous early plays uh, it was against mike bibby of, of all people um where he came down dribbling left-handed he suddenly leaped did a scissor kick kept his dribble going from went behind his back and then um and then I think Williams made a pass to get to, you know, to get it. He actually put, he takes a jumper after oh, he lands right. and, then t- and then shoots right away. I'm still not sure that's not traveling, but all right. Yeah. I watched it a bunch of times and I'm like, I don't, I, I mean, maybe it, I don't know. Maybe someone I mean, can take I guess technically know. he's dribbling, but if you leave your feet, uh, yeah, that, that, yeah. That was and it's, it's like thing. a hop step sort of, but like, and I get that for like layups, but it, it's, it's a weird hop step. Yeah. It's like a hop step and then kind of another slight movement and then a shot. So I, I, I don't yeah. know, but. And he talks about. Nobody complained. Maybe he didn't complain. Maybe he just kind of went like, oh, yeah, yeah oh, you got me. Go. So, you got me. So, <laughs> so gonna, it's okay. I'll let it slide, I'm going to so. get traded for you in three years and make this team better. So <laughs> It's a weird one. Yeah, because I watched it earlier. I was like, ah, you know, he's just like he's thinking. He's like, ah, one day I'll, yeah. I'll get yeah. you. <laughs> Uh, yeah, Mike Bibby had the ability to see into the future. So, um, <laughs> obviously. and, uh, he basically talks, he says that, you know, he doesn't really think about his plays before he does them. He just, he thinks he plays like, if he does get to thinking, he starts to play like a robot. So he, so you just go out and do whatever, you know? Um, always a great quote that, uh, Jay will. So, uh, <laughs> there's also a great play where he just basically fakes out Gary Payton completely on a, a crossover and Gary Payton is just like sitting there like smirks and even like, you know, gives him sort of an attaboy afterward about just, you know, uh, amazing thing, which, you know, for a guy who was as competitive as Payton was, that's sort of a, uh, that's kind of a fun reaction, yeah. you know? And, and that's that's one of my favorite things of when you watch these highlights of, of Jason Williams. And I think for, for people that have watched him or, 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 you know, when we talked about it or watch, go back and watch him and maybe wa- watch, obviously, the first time and just just 
have your jaw drop when you see what he does. But then go back and look at the reactions of other players on the court as he's doing stuff. One that I'm, I'm, I'm is very notable is the elbow pass. You know, the, the famous elbow pass. It's in the rookie sophomore's game or whatever. So Lamar, it, it's him, and he passes it to Rayful Friends. That's the name for, of the. <laughs> I can't wait to do a podcast on him. But uh, one of the defenders, the guy that's guarding Williams technically, is Lamar Odom. Obviously, in his Clipper days, he does the elbow pass, and you just see Lamar Odom's face just light up, and he goes like, "Woo!" <laughs> like, like it just happened to him. He just got scored. On. Luckily, it's a rookie sophomore game, but you see it a lot of times in real games. Like you mentioned, Gary Payton is even just like, yep, got me. And, and you know, but Bibby sometimes does that as well. But this one in particular, if you watch this one, you just see as it's happening, Lamar Odom knows it's happening. And it's just like, oh, that's awesome. And then, like, unfortunately, the guy scores right on him, but it's a rookie sophomore, so who cares? So, yeah. but that's definitely watch the reactions of other players. Like, they couldn't even handle themselves with a lot of this stuff. Uh, absolutely. Um, so late in, uh, April 99, they, there's a New York times article sort of talking about the white chocolate nickname. And it was actually created by a, a King's media relations assistant. He talks about basically just because like his game was really sweet and he, um, he, his game reminded her of, um, schoolyard street ball, um, in Chicago and Williams embraced the white chocolate nickname early on, but kind of regarded it more warily because the, there was some attention to it that might become a distraction. The Kings actually um, just were, you know, made uncomfortable by the nicknames highlighting that a white player has what is perceived as a black game. It discouraged it. They were talking about how they asked like um, commentators not to mention it and uh, so forth. Apparently, even Williams' agent didn't want it to be there. Um, there apparently was a contest on ESPN.com to replace the name, and the winner was Thrilla in Vanilla, which, <laughs> which is pretty which awesome. Is, which is not too bad, but it's, but it's Actually, another, but it's a, another yeah. of course, the, the name that is racial connotations. And well, pretty damn awesome. So. Yes, <laughs> and White Talk was a great nickname, too. And like I totally get, you know, like, hey, you are making – these nicknames are kind of based on – like assumptions of people's race or what they're supposed to be in stereotypes. So I get like, if someone's uncomfortable with it, that's perfectly reasonable. I don't think that's ridiculous at all, you know? Um, but uh, you know, I do think like it is yeah, like, I, I think this is such a benign instance of that. And I, I think, you, you know, there's a lot of like, there's a lot of complexities to it where I don't think like the name is like, I don't think there's like an obvious, like, is it a problem or is it not a problem? It's mm -hmm. just kind of like, you know, yeah, it, it could be, but um, you know, I would say it's it's pretty easy to be okay with it as well. But maybe somebody would feel differently, and I think that's perfectly reasonable. So, um, and then the uh, the Kings make the playoffs. Um, they lose to the Jazz in the three two series. It's sort of made uh, the 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 Jason Williams as a rookie versus uh, John Stockton having in, entering his 148th playoff game, uh, being game one of the series, um, was just sort of like looking at the. Uh, contrast between them and basically like Stockton just basically schooled him, you know, in, oh, yeah. in, in the game. And, um, and Williams just, you know, um, wasn't working against the sophisticated jazz defense and Stockton of course was a tremendous defender. So, um, so then we go to the 99, 2000 season, uh, they're 44 and 38 first in pace again. Um, they add Nick Anderson who apparently had a relationship with Jason Williams dating back to like when he was younger, like, like they, yeah. Yeah. Um, so, um, they, uh, Williams is he second on the team in minutes. Uh, you know, I would say played kind of comparatively well, at least, um, stats wise, you know, there's not really, 
uh, you know, other than more minutes, I mean, his shooting's about the same. Um, he does take a lot of three pointers and his shoot, he, this was his worst year at that tw- 28%. Uh, so that's not so good. Um, <laughs> no. <laughs> uh, you know, everything else is, you know, it pretty much fine for a player at his, you know, um, for a player at his position and at his skill development, the, the turnovers aren't actually that high. Um, they are a bit higher than they were the previous year, but, um, but overall, um, you know, he's, you know, uh, doing similar things in a similar role. Um, but although there is a, um, there's an SI article from March of 2000, um, where there's kind of some backlash on the way he plays. Like Danny Ainge called him the most overrated player in basketball, although he did say that he, I admit, I loved watching him play and do some of that stuff the previous year, but he would drive me crazy as a coach. And then Bimbo Coles of the Hawks calls him out of basically like saying, I don't think I ever saw him throw a regular pass. <laughs> and, um, and Williams just, he kind of like shrugs it off and defends himself. It's like, Hey, you know, we're a lot, we're a lot better, even though I'm just a part of it. You, and, Adelman's mostly chill about the struggles, although he does say the, sh- the three-point shooting, you know, is a problem. And um, they do kind of talk about like there there have been some incidents where um, like um, Williams has been rude to the media or kind of yell or you know got gotten into it with fans who have heckled him, and basically just talks about being well known as something I never asked for. And I'm not that comfortable with it. So just kind of maybe he's, there was a he's a little bit of an introvert, you know. Yeah. Oh, and there's a quote in one of the articles as well where he was eating dinner with his family or whatever, and he, he was talking about how much he hates when fans kind of come up to him and ask for you know. Yeah. And there was one quote where he says, you know, someone said, "Hey, sorry to bother you," and he replied, "Well, don't." Yeah. And he said he thought. <laughs> wish, yeah. And he said he thought it was disgusting when people like bothered him when he eat, which is sort of an interesting yeah. choose. But um so uh 2000 and 2001 season the Kings uh they're 55 and 27. They had uh Doug Christie, Hita Turgaloo and Bobby Jackson and Luz Williamson. So they're basically now the team that you know that they would be for the next mm-hmm. three or four years when they're you know really really strong. Uh they fought a second in pace in the league. Um I I would assume Dallas was number 1. Uh um, Yeah, that was the the phonetic Dallas. Okay. Yeah, that was yeah. yeah. Um and they're up to uh ninth uh in offensive rating, 7th in defensive rating. So, you know, getting to be the point in which they're mm-hmm. you know close to an elite team. They do win in the first round, but they're swept by the Lakers in the second round. This was the year where the Lakers had sort of an iffy regular season, but then totally trashed everyone in the postseason. Right. They were like they ended up 15 and one, I think, in the uh in the playoffs. Yep, yep, so cool. um so yeah. Um but uh they were um yeah I so at, at this point basically the relationship between um Rick Adelman and Jason Williams is uh, is is not so strong, and the uh, Grizzlies decide to uh, make a change. So um, we're going to take a little bit of break from the Jason Williams to talk about a uh, a related subject. So we'll uh, <laughs> be, we'll be back in just a moment. A six-one guard from Florida, number fifty-five, Jason Williams. Goodness, that was vintage Pistol Pete Maravich in the form of Jason Williams. Simply a genius with a basketball. That's an assist. Probably no other point guard in the league could make. All right, we're back here on the Over and Back Classic NBA podcast. Uh, we, we obviously had a long discussion with Jared about candy and food, and, and we're going to continue that because, goddammit, we're doing a podcast about white chocolate, so we're going to talk about food. 
Jason, this is the best NBA food nicknames. And I'll be honest, I, are all these accurate? Or are these just like, <laughs> there's some here that I was like, I don't think I've Well, ever. there's some. I mean, there's there's obvious ones. I mean, the first one we're going to list, I, I think, is obvious. There's other ones, like, you know, Joe Bryant is another one that, that people know. Some of these are a little out of it. Well, I mean, I... I at least Googled these to make to make sure that someone said that these were guys who were associated mm-hmm. with these names. I mean, I kind of ranked them in order of like either veracity or of goodness, you know. So we're going to talk about the best too. or most obvious ones first and kind of go to the more obscure ones. As, as And you ask people on Twitter as well. So uh, these are these are crowds. Oh, we well, know but... we know that Twitter and the and other aspects of the Internet have never been inaccurate before. Exactly. So. so, I mean, I have to at least believe that our Twitter followers know, you know, what they're talking about. I wouldn't just make up a nickname about something, no, that'd be something ridiculous. That their friends called i mean they're, they're not gonna do that I, so I, I think all of these or at least almost all of these are also in basketball reference so you know you're not gonna tell so, me that, uh, you're not gonna tell me the basketball reference is wrong well, well that's one of the funny things when when you go to basketball reference sometimes you get these like they have nicknames for guys and i'm like i don't think i've ever ever heard like for baseball they have it a lot as well where i'm just like i don't think anybody's ever called them that but maybe they did like <laughs> I like I, I don't know that, but okay, I'm I'm glad because they make me laugh pretty much every time when you see. There's a few in here that I've seen on Basketball Reference that I remember just laughing my ass. So I, I'm I'm appreciative of it Absolutely. regardless. So, so we begin, of course, Chocolate Thunder Daryl Dawkins, yeah. known for his you know um, backboard breaking dunks. Uh, my personal favorite, Cornbread Cedric Maxwell. <laughs> I, I I forgot to look up the origin. Of... Did he crumble under pressure? Or like... <laughs> no, I, the opposite. And you know he's the. <laughs> I, I believe the NBA all-time leader in true shooting percentage as well. That's what I mean. Yeah. yeah. Why is he? Why is he cornbread? Then? I, I, mean, I, you know, I, I, cornbread flaky and and I assume you know. it's some sort of country thing, you know. Um, but he was uh, from North Carolina. He probably had, yeah, he probably had a twang to him or whatever. He's from North Carolina. I, I don't think I've ever heard him talk, but yeah, that that would make sense. But. I mean, I, you know, that would be why I would, you know, I will have to, well, we'll, you know, if someone wants to weigh in and let us know why he's <laughs> named Cornbread, if not, that'll be research we have to do for another podcast. So, um, next is Jellybean Joe Bryant, who's uh, Kobe's dad. Played a couple years in the league, but played most of his career overseas. Um, now this is stretching a little bit, but the microwave Vinnie Johnson, you make food in a microwave. <laughs> so, you know, you have to heat it up. You get Vinnie Johnson to heat it up for you, you know, um, hot plate, John Williams, as opposed to hot rod, John Williams, who I, I didn't realize the other John Williams also came in the same league and the same, or we came in the league in the same year. And also, um, they both went to school in Louisiana, apparently. So the two John Williams are interconnected. And uh, Lamar Odom, I, I kind of forgot that he was called the Candy Man for a while. I do remember that, what, yeah. Well, I, thought, I always thought that was a little candy. Well, I always called uh, Michael Well, candy I mean, that. I think they both were. But I think Odom, like, you can't, no, they were on the same team. You can't have both guys be the Candy Man. Well, no, I think Odom was later in his career when okay. he, um, wasn't it like during like a playoff series? Wasn't there some sort of thing with that? In can- I honestly don't remember. All right. Uh, well, I, I don't remember Odom being it. But he was, I think he was another one of those guys like Dwight Howard or whatever that just used to like, his diet was like, I eat gummy bears. Or whatever, and they're like, please stop doing that. Like, please, here's a nutritionist. Like, please. I remember like, there being, like, I, I, yeah, I remember some sort of thing uh, during one of the playoff series, and I don't remember the specifics now. I, I feel bad, you know, because we like to do our research ahead of time, but this one I forgot. Um, then there was the Whopper, Billy uh, Pulse. You know, maybe he was a, just a big fan of Whoppers, as I am, as, as we've uh, established, but. Oh, okay, so I looked at it real quick. Uh, there's an ESPN. Um... There must have been some sort of like special they did or whatever. And it's called Lamar Odom, the Candy Man. And it says, this feature on Lamar Odom revealed his love of candy. 
and it's him going down the candy aisle and like thumbing about what's his favorite candy. There you go. So there you go. So <laughs> he is another one of those guys. Yeah, I, th- I thought he was one of those where like Derek Rose is that way. Um, Dwight Howard famously was of these guys that just like when they come into the league, they just eat like Skittles. And it's like, please, please real, eat real food. Like you cannot be a, like an elite NBA player and only eat Skittles, but yeah. they do. Yeah. So, um, so the Whopper, Billy Poltz, who was, uh, played most of his career, well, about half of it in the ABA and then in the NBA till the early eighties, who's a big guy. Um, and then there are, we're kind of getting now into the suspect ones. Um, <laughs> uh, Channing Fry apparently is known as buffet of goodness. I, 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 there, there was a, <laughs> is he really a buffet of goodness? I mean, yeah, there's like one or two courses that are okay. Right. But. Yes. I mean, the three point shooting is excellent. You know, <laughs> I recommend that course, uh, you know, it provides the floor spacing. I, you know, I guess I, you know, um, buffet, I, that's a lot. Uh, yeah. He's more like, I feel like he's more of like a, a component to a good buffet. Right. Like an appetizer of goodness. Yeah. Like, yeah. Like a good appetizer. Yeah. There you go. Uh, good, good TJ Friday is like, you know, pick three appetizer deal or something yeah. apparently jalen rose when he played for the raptors was known as captain crunch for his performance <laughs> during crunch time which i i have a hard time believing that one um and my favorite one out of all these probably is um is uh jazzy cabbages for uh sarunas uh, jazzy cabbage is uh be- i do remember that yes, yes uh because don nelson couldn't pronounce his name and i have a hard time pronouncing his name too so i understand don nelson's dilemma there yeah, that one I do remember. So that one is, is an that accurate. That one is one. an I accurate. Do, and, I do and then, Maybe that was just me and my friends, but it's apparently not. Yeah. So. And then there's um, apparently O.J. Mayo's nickname is the grocery list. Although <laughs> Mayo, of course, he always he already has, you know, he already has a food name. He's a twofer. Yeah, he yeah. doesn't need to have a nickname because it's already there. Well, no, I can't, okay, I didn't get the grocery list at first, but now I do. So There you go. Because orange juice and, and mayonnaise. Oh, so. yeah. Or, I forgot orange juice. Yeah. Yeah. The OJ. Yeah. yeah okay. So I go. get it now. So now, it's, it's the grocery list. It's a terrible grocery list, though. <laughs> if you're only going to the grocery <laughs> store and you're only acquiring orange juice and mayonnaise, like, what are you doing with your life? Don't, like, where are you going? Put them. Yeah. Yeah. It's time for you to catch up. That's all. I'm yeah. I was going to say, like, get a, get a, at least get, like, you know, a chocolate thunder in there. Get a, a who do we have? Cornbread, Cedric. I mean, Some get, jelly beans, you know? Yeah. Right, microwave. Right. Have Lamar Odom come over. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Go to Burger King and get a Whopper, you know? Yeah. Um, Sergio. Oh, I didn't even think of it. Yeah, there you go. Sergio Rodriguez. I was thinking Whopper candy because we're so I'm ah, so chocolate right now. Yeah, I you're can't even think of other foods. Like, uh, Sergio Rodriguez was Spanish chocolate. I I do remember <laughs> that. I remember that's just another white guy that does things that are yeah, you know, flashing. Things, so. so he is black because yeah, like yeah. you know. But um, Jerome James' nickname was uh, Big Snacks, presumably because he was fat. Yeah, <laughs> that's that's who was draft. Of course, as we mentioned, drafted yep. along with Jay Will. Uh, Bobby Simmons, known as Chinese food, and apparently this came from a quote where he said he didn't like going to Japan because he didn't like Chinese food. Because <laughs> I, think, I think they went to there was a preseason game there or something mm-hmm. in Japan. So yeah, I, I remember that. Yeah, I don't. I, I remember the quote. I don't remember that being like his new nickname, but I'm I'm glad it is because yes, I'm all in favor. I, of that. I, I, I'm glad as well. And then finally, Nick Young, but before he was Swaggy P, was known as Bean Burrito. <laughs> It's not. It's not quite as swaggy, but you know. Yeah, but I wonder what the the what what made him bean burrito. But 
I'm glad. I mean, I don't care. I'm just, I, I'm happy. I just want to know. I, I, I need to know how I, that became. I mean, I, I, I don't have answers for you. Sorry. <laughs> I just can't even think of how we get to that. I don't know. Well, listeners, you know, you can uh, add us That's at Over and yeah. Back NBA or, um, or you can post in the uh, show comments on this post at thepodiumgame.com if you can answer any of our uh, yeah, we questions. Yeah, we need Cornbread, Cedric Maxwell, and, uh, and Bean Burrito, Nick Young. I think we got most of the other I ones, think we're but... good otherwise, yes, but yeah. So Buffet of goodness, my might need to uh, uh, <laughs> yeah. have a little bit of a talk about, but everything else I'll, I'll – All right. So. Well, we appreciate that. Maybe Captain Crunch. I'm, I'm kind of eh. – Oh, that's uh, Mr. Crunch time is Jalen Rose. I mean, that's – I would have nobody give me the ball more than, <laughs> than mid-2000s Jalen Absolutely. Rose and Crunch yeah. time. So, um, so yeah, we're uh, – so we're going to head back into the uh, land of uh, white chocolate and uh, talk about uh, – talk about going – we're going to go to Memphis. Jason quickly into the front court. Oh, behind the back dribble, into the lane, finger roll flip, hangs and drops. Another look at it behind his back, a little shake and bake, hangs the ball off in front of two defenders. The friends, the rebound, the sophomores out on the move, Williams in the middle, behind the back to the friends, down the lane, he drew the foul. The all the great passers, they know where the trailer is. Yes. And this is just a, a great move because he picked up that trailer as he was crossing over half court and then never once turned his head. We're back here talking Jason Williams, obviously white chocolate. We're talking about now um, his post-Sacramento playing career. He was traded to the Memphis Grizzlies famously. And this was um, this was their first year in Memphis. They were in the currently in the, in the process of transitioning from Vancouver uh, to Memphis pretty famously. And, and, and that'd be something I'd love to talk about as well, sort of the, the that, that franchise as a whole and their sort of less than stellar run in, in, in Vancouver. But uh, obviously he was traded almost straight up for uh, Mike Bibby. There was a few guys in there. There was Nick Anderson, who at this point was kind of just a shell of his former self, barely played at all for the Kings. Uh, and then it was Brent Price was involved with Mike Bibby in that trade. But uh, just kind of a franchise-altering trade for a lot of ways. And, and what was kind of interesting is in doing the research of this is that it was them, uh, the Grizzlies, that initiated the contact to the Kings uh, uh, about trading Mike Bibby for Jason Williams because I, I didn't know that. When I, I always sort of was under the impression that – and it was sort of the narrative too that the Kings got better because of that trade more so than the, the Grizzlies. But it was interesting that they were the ones that sort of initiated it. Yeah, and I mean, there was also it, it did seem like um, you know uh, Williams had a little bit less playing time in crunch time. They were going to Bobby Jackson some more. He and Adelman apparently weren't getting along at this point. There's a Sacramento Bee article from the uh, day of the trade, June 28, 2001, and basically they weren't really able to communicate. And the organization decided, like, oh, we're going to go with Adelman and they signed him to an extension. Uh, and in fact, the quote is they decided to keep Adelman instead of Jason. It's really that simple. Um, he'd also, you know, had his other issues, been suspended for um, for testing positive for marijuana, fined three times by the league for improper improper conduct with fans during games. And then there was one where he made anti-Asian slurs at a fan in Oakland, later apologized for the remarks. Um, and he also, you know, he kind of lashed out about, you know, like, you know, they need to do something about fans, you know, um, going after us and, you know, kind mm -hmm. of that feeling that was unfair that, you know, you couldn't respond, but which, you know, doesn't necessarily show a, lot, a huge amount of a, a maturity. But um, but uh, yeah, it, you know, um, they um, it, it, interesting to see sort of the coverage of him in Memphis and he um, and owner Michael Heisley were golfing buddies. 
<laughs> which is kind of funny. Yeah, I can't imagine. I mean, <laughs> that, that's got to be an interesting book. I, I, as I'm sort of thinking about it, I wonder if there was some sort of element of we need we, we need because obviously he was still a sensation and less so than he was sort of his first few years, but still a relative sensation, still one that people were interested in, you know, still a high selling jersey. I wonder if it was a fame thing for Memphis where they're looking at, hey, look, we're, we're bringing this franchise to Memphis. Who better to kind of spark, you know, spark this fire than, than a Jason Williams type guy where and we can get him. I mean, we can reasonably get him. Maybe Mike Baby doesn't fire that. I, I don't know what the exact reasoning behind it was, but but an interesting thing. But yeah, him as a, a golf buddy with anybody seems very interesting. Just Jason Williams playing golf. Yeah. Is, do you wonder I wonder if he's flashy as a golfer too, or <laughs> he's kinda like like he his putts are just like ridiculous and they go like around the hole and then back in or whatever. Like he's gotta have something, Swing right? Club behind his back. He can't yeah. just be a normal golfer, I, right? Like there's no way. It's it's hard to say, yeah. Um <laughs> But he, um, so um, yeah, you know, they also they, you know, they they drafted Pau Gasol. Well, they actually traded um, for Pau Gasol and Shane Batty. They both were rookies that year. Um, they also had Stromau Swift in his second year, who looked like he was going to kind of be an athletic, you know, exciting big guy, which didn't really work out for anybody there. Um, so they, you know, they were kind of rebuilding you know again even though um you know Williams and Bibby were about the same age but you know they were kind of bringing in some younger players and trying to start over because where they were wasn't very good um and uh they were 23 and 59 which actually equaled the franchise's best uh to to that (laughs) point they were the third worst team in the NBA uh Williams actually I mean he did play better in um Memphis, at least statistically, his his PER, assist percentage, and usage all went uh, way up. And then at the end of the season, or toward the end of the season, the Grizzlies ended up hiring Jerry West as their GM, uh, uh, pulling him from the Lakers, uh, which was, you know, a really big deal at the time. Of course, West, you know, was an important architect for the um, the 80s um, Lakers dynasty and then their rebuild in the 90s to get Kobe and uh, Shaq together. Yeah. So, uh, you know, one of the great, you know, GMs of all time. So they really, um, uh, added to that. And then the next season, um, they, they brought in Hubie Brown to replace Sidney Lowe after an Owen eight start. Uh, they end up finishing a little bit better, 28 and 54. Um, they added a Wesley person. They drafted drew Gooden and Gordon Gearcheck, but they actually traded them for Mike Miller around the trade deadline. Um, mm-hmm. to the magic, which is sort of an interesting thing to have happened for three rookies to be involved in a trade. Uh, um, was Miller a rookie then? I believe Miller. Well, no, no, he might. That might have been his. He was a little bit before. That might have yeah, been his he, second year because I think he. Oh yeah, he was drafted. He won the. He won the rookie of the year. I know for a fact as a member of the Magic. And, okay, that would have been two thousand. Okay, that that makes sense. So yeah, okay, so so close, but hey. Okay, I yes, I was. That's right. Uh, I was. Uh, that was my mistake. But no, uh, no, you're good. I, I just I I have vivid memories of him with like short hair and no tattoos playing on the Magic. So. Yeah, he or he had like one tattoo. I think it was like one like minor tattoo in the middle of his arm, yeah, and he, you know, he, he <laughs> played two years. Right, this that would have been his third season. So okay, um, and um, but they were kind of you know they they were they had sort of the building blocks of the guys. You know, they had Lorenzen Wright as well. Uh, they got Earl Watson that year. Um, you know, guys who kind of would be the key guys for their um, you know, success over the next you know three or four seasons. Um, and uh. He continued improving. He had better shooting and fewer turnovers. Um, and uh, you know, and, and and you know, wasn't like a terrific player, but was, you know, was still you know a, a bit of a better player at least um, statistically than he had been in um, 
than he had been in Sacramento. Certainly. Yeah. And, and that's team. It's an interesting team as well, because I, I always forget that they were this successful this quickly. I mean, we sort of know that the Grizzlies now and this this most recent one with Zach Randolph and, and forget that the Gasol run was I mean, they, they got successful at a point. And we're, we're going to talk about that season here in a bit. But it was interesting to see sort of the building blocks come together. And yeah, he he wasn't a sensation as much anymore, but he was becoming kind of a reliable rotation. You know, you know what I mean? Not not a superstar like he sort of was you know, culturally the first two years, but sort of becoming a, a reliable sort of everyday NBA player at this point, you know, five or six years into his career. So, yeah. And uh, the next year, they're the surprise team of the season. They finished 50 and 32, adding James Posey, Bo Outlaw and Bonzi Wells. Uh, but they are swept in the first round by the Spurs. Uh, there's a article from the New York times of uh, about uh, basically focusing on Williams uh, from April, 2004, talking about how he can still make the flashy play, but does it less than he used to. His quote is when I do something crazy now, it's for the purpose of helping the team, which is, you know, like the, <laughs> the, as opposed to before right. when I was like, just... eh, you know, whatever. Um, and then Brown, there is a lot on kind of like Brown sort of getting on him about saying like, he should be at the top echelon, you know, with his great talent, but he's not quite there. He should be all NBA. Also sort of critical of him for not playing good defense, not driving and not getting enough free throws. He's also replaced by Earl Watson in key situations and Williams not reacting well. There's sort of like there's a long anecdote about Williams, like basically like storming out of practice or not showing up to practice the next day after he wasn't there in crunch time and later like sort of apologizing to everyone and saying, you know, he, he made a mistake and wouldn't do it again. And, um, and basically for the most part, showing maturity other than that instance and sort of like talking about how they're, you know, he and Hubie are both different yet older. And, you know, this is Hubie's first year. Well, I guess second year now, um, mm-hmm. after you know, he hadn't coached for 15, 16 years. I mean, he was in his late sixties or you know maybe even a little bit older at this point. So he was sort of an odd guy to pick, even though obviously Huey Brown's one of our favorite announcers and, you know, oh, certainly. basketball minds and all that. But, um, just sort of odd that, uh, you know, just cause he hadn't coached for so long for him to be brought in to do that. And, you know, even though it seems like there'll obviously be the, just that conflict of, you know, generational conflict or whatever, they, they kind of make it, they kind of make it work. And, you know, at least for this season, you know, have a, 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 a fun, good team. Mm-hmm. And then terrible jerseys though. I forgot how bad. Uh, well, were they a little better by then? They were better, but, they weren't. They're, they're still. They weren't as. The color scheme is still all terrible. Yeah, it's still got the teal. It's still got the Vancouver Grizzly like bright teal. I mean, they weren't as ridiculous. I mean, there's not like Kodiak Bear like grabbing a ball and you know been tribal last second, but it, it, it's still not very good. It was basically just that jersey, but just like they had Memphis and big block letters at the the front. They look like thrown together jerseys, but they eventually got there. Yeah, that that's true. So, um, but. Um, uh, then 2005, uh, they actually they, they start off five and seven. Hubie leaves. Uh, Lionel Hollins has an 0-4 stint as an interim coach. And then Mike Fratella joins in. They they play well the rest of the season. They go from 10th in the league to 25th in pace. So they slow it down, which isn't necessarily uh, Jason Williams's game, of course. Uh, here he and Earl Watson actually end up playing a similar uh, number of minutes that season. Um, so he's sort of it, it's kind of a similar situation to where he helps the team, you know, rise from where they where they are, but then sort of um, 
there's a you know a backup point guard who's now yeah. sort of taking you know his uh or you know his spot or taking up minutes you know uh that he has so it's not quite as you know rosy of a picture and they end up being swept by the Suns in the uh, first round. Um, I believe they're swept in the following season in the first round as well. They're basically like zero and twelve. They don't win a play, you know in those playoff wins. They don't actually win. No, it was it wasn't until the the recent Zach Randolph one that they actually won a play. I remember that being part of the the, yeah. the situation is that like they are. St- I mean, they've been to the playoffs a bunch of times, but we still haven't won a playoff game. Yeah. Like it, it was for that being the big moment that hey, we got one, and then now they've had you know. Decent success as of late. And this year, you know, they're one of the best teams in the NBA. So go so there. So 04, 05 was the first year of the current Grizzlies jerseys, which are which are much, much better. Oh, yes. Yeah, yeah. 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 I mean, they got rid of the teal. The teal, no no more teal. Yeah. So, I, I mean, I, I, the fact that you have teal into the, until 2004 is just not good. It's like, a little sad. Yeah. I mean, they really do have great jerseys now, you know. No, now that I love them. They're one of my yeah, favorites in the league. They absolutely are. So, um, you, you know, it was interesting I that I just forgot about the uh, – the 2001 article about the talking about the, the Bibby trade, um, they mentioned that the Grizzlies are expected to change their name. I oh, mean, really? Wow. Yeah. Huh. So, but uh, I mean, it makes sense. Yeah, because <laughs> they, Memphis, yeah. yeah, Grizzlies don't really fit in Memphis. I mean, now it just it feels right, you know, even though it's it's you know, um, kind of like Utah Jazz. Like I, I, even though it's, yeah, you just get used right, to it. Right. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So Los Angeles Lakers, all those ones that that are ridiculous, but you get used to it after enough time. Did they say what the other, I, I think I remember reading that article. I don't remember that part. Did, did they say what other like names that we're no, thinking of? They or? just said like, it was part of like a move to the rebranding and, yeah. and they were planning to change the name. That was just like okay. a one sentence line. Hmm. Yeah. Um, so after the season, Memphis changes directions. A lot of teams change directions. Actually, they, uh, Williams is involved in the biggest trade in NBA history involved this guy's a doozy yeah it involves five <laughs> teams and 13 players and there's actually right. a real a, a related trade the same day which is technically a se- separate trade but really fits in you know um with it as well but basically stay with us here yeah. try <laughs> try and, and I, I only named the players involved who actually play in the nba there, there's a couple other players that are draft rights involved but don't end up ever playing so i did not name them so uh, the Heat get they get Jay Will they get Antoine Walker who was with the Celtics they get James Posey also with the Grizzlies and Andre Emmett who was also with the Grizzlies. Um, the Grizzlies get Eddie Jones from Miami and Raul Lopez. Uh, the Celtics got Curtis Borchert and Kintel Woods and two second round draft picks, one of which became Nikola Pekovic. <laughs> which is unbelievable. I, yeah. it's my favorite. I'm so glad that basketball reference added that where, where you see where the picks ended up, like the lineage of draft picks, because it's the greatest thing ever. Like, granted, it was probably like 10 years. It was like 10 years later. But hey, it's it's still awesome. So absolutely. Uh, the Jazz get Greg Ostertag. <laughs> oh, good. <laughs> and the Hornets get Razul Butler and Kirk Snyder. Um had to get Greg Ostertag back. We just, we just had to have Greg Ostertag. They absolutely back. did. And then, I don't even remember when he left. I don't remember him even playing at Sacramento. Uh, yeah, I I know he was I there, but, do, I, but I have no memories of yeah that flat top playing in in Sacramento. Well, we'll, but, we'll, yeah, we'll get that we'll get that podcast on the line. The Greg Ostertag podcast. <laughs> I am not doing that. One. That must be the most boring podcast we ever do. <laughs> Is there anything interesting about Greg Ostertag? Um, the, his name, I guess. But yeah, um, and his hair. Yeah. 
And then the, the technically separate trade earlier in the day, the Grizzlies traded Bonzi Wells to the Kings for Bobby Jackson and Ostertag and Borchard, who, of course, were part of the, the five-team trade. So yeah. I don't know why it wouldn't have de- technically been included because it has players that are included, but I guess yeah. it happened. I don't know. It's uh, whatever. It, it's it definitely the biggest day of transactions, I would have to think, in NBA history, in terms of a trade anyway. So. Oh, it's unbelievable. Yeah. So, and it's one of the best like basketball reference lists as well. Cause it's just like this gigantic, like blob of, of, of names and you can't even make sense of it. It's, it's so hard to, to get where the hell it's going, but no, it's an interesting, definitely an interesting trade. And, and yeah, and it, fast- and it really worked out well for the heat. No, certainly. Yeah. yeah. Not so much for anyone. Yeah. Else, everybody else kind of got screwed. Yeah. I didn't know we realized the heat were just like, thank you. Okay. We'll take yeah. like four I productive mean, players and you can have Kintel Woods. I, like, I mean, there was like sign and trade. I mean, it was complicated because there was like sign and trade stuff about it. I mean, Eddie Jones actually gave the Grizzlies a pretty good year, although he ended up back in Miami the year afterward. Yeah, um, right. I mean, Butler is a guy, I don't know how much, how long he played for the Hornets, but he, he's still in the league, but unbelievable. He's like been playing for like 12 years. I mean, that's, yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. He, you know, um, Really not doing anything. Right, I mean, really just yeah, I mean, but he stuck it's around. Like, I mean, that's yeah, go ahead. Yeah, because he played on the Bulls like three years ago, and he was just there. Like they couldn't, yeah, he couldn't get off the bench. He was just awful. Yeah. And then like the other day, I was there were like he was. I think he's still in Miami, right? Uh, no, no, no. I think he Razul Butler. I think plays for the is it the Clippers now? I. Oh, that oh, that sounds right. Yeah, and I, I saw him. I was like, "Why is Russell like no? Like Russell Butler cannot be in the league still." Yeah, but I was. That guy's made himself quite a career. I, yeah, was, so, I uh, was surprised. Yeah, I mean, um, he uh, apparently plays for the Pacers. No, the Wizards. He plays for the Wizards now. Oh, okay, That's there right. we go. Yeah, the Wizards have kind of a weird. All those teams are correct though, because I think he has played for all those teams at some point in the in the in like the past five years. He's got to so be that, up, that, he's got to be up there uh, on the all time. No, not quite on the all time uh, teams list. Um, so yeah, but. I'm I'm very curious how uh, Pekovic got to. Oh God, it's a much bigger trade. How Pekovic got to the Timberwolves? I'm not even going to do it. But essentially, uh, Ola Candy and Wally Zerbiak were a part of this trade. Yeah, so. yeah, yeah. Well, also it involves the um, the Heat. Actually, it's it's a um, it's a later trade involving because Anton Walker mm-hmm. trade, right? Yeah. yeah. So going going to the Timberwolves. Oh no, it's not. No, it's a separate. It's a separate one. No, no. I, I, I'm sorry. Not this trade, but a trade involving the Heat in a couple years in 08, where Anton Walker gets traded for Ricky Davis and Mark Blunt. Or is it not that true? It's not. No. Yeah. That that's similar. But no. It's it, well. No. It, it is. So traded by the Boston Celtics uh, with Marcus Banks, Mark Blunt, Ricky Davis, Justin Reed, and the 2006 second round pick to the Timberwolves for Dwayne Jones. Oliver Candy, Wally Zerbiak, and then the draft pick that would later become Johnny Flynn. Oh yeah, that's right. That's um, I do remember that. There's a lot of a lot of weird Celtics traits during. Yeah, they're they're uh, odd, yeah. odd fellows, but yeah. that's how I got there. Okay. All right. Well, we'll get, I'm glad we I'm glad, we've I'm, done I'm glad we cleared that up. That was a very important point <laughs> that all of our readers, I'm sure, were, or listeners. Why do I keep saying readers tonight? All of our listeners uh, would would greatly be interested in. So. On that note, I think we're going to take a little break and we're going to talk about uh, Jay Will's Miami and uh, Orlando years. All right, we're back. And uh, Jason Williams is now uh, a member of the Miami Heat. And um, he and Shaq are apparently good pals, which is one reason why Williams ended up in um, Miami. Uh, and uh, there's a um, 
SI article from uh, October of 05, not long, a couple months after the trade, where wondering how everyone's going to coexist there. Um, if, particularly Shaq with uh, Antoine Walker, who likes to shoot a lot in case, you know, he hadn't uh, <laughs> known. And, uh, and, it's it's interesting because this is a really heavily Shaq focused piece when, you know, like I think of Shaq obviously like being important in those years in Miami, but I think of him as sort of being along the ride, you know, where Wade was really the number one guy. But I don't mm-hmm. think that re- that wasn't really the case until the fi- the actual finals themselves. Yeah, no. And then that's that is absolutely true. Yeah, he Dwayne Wade just became a sensation in those finals. But, yeah, a lot of it was Shaq. I mean, it's, it's hard to believe now because you, you sort of. The vivid memories aren't obviously the regular season games that, that the Miami Heat played. You remember the finals. I mean, the most notable finals, you know, or, you know, of Dwayne Wade, you know, him taking over in the Dallas and the comeback and all that sort of stuff. So that's sort of why I, I get why people kind of think that. And I, I think that same way, too, because I have a hard time believing that at any point it was just solely Shaq's team. But it was a huge deal when he went there. And, yeah. and obviously there's reasons why we don't remember that because, you know, we don't remember like random regular season games. But, yeah, do I remember that being a sensation when he went there and, and, and yeah, being really the, the patron. Or, or the reason why they were as successful as they were. Yeah, and, and obviously Wade was still, I mean, really important even during that time. Oh, yeah, it was yeah. only a th- his third season. Shaq's the veteran. I mean, it, it does make sense. It, but it just was like, oh, yeah, that's kind of how it went. So, um, so the 05 06 season for the Heat, they're 52 and 30. They're basically an all new team other than Wade, Shaq, Mourning, and Haslam. Um, they get off to an 11 and 10 start. So, um, Stan Van Gundy's out of there and Pat Riley is in. Um, <clears throat> Williams, he, he, I mean, I kind of basically numbers wise um, stays relatively close to his reliable um, Memphis self, uh, a little bit less in usage, which makes sense given who he's playing with. Um, Actually only plays 59 games because of injury that year, um, but has his best year ever shooting three pointers, which I think we mentioned. And Gary Payton actually had a bigger role on that team than I sort of remembered um, Mm -hmm. during the regular season. Of course, he has a big um, playoff game and, As we mentioned before, um, Williams, you know, kind of his big moment of, you know, really his heat career and in, in particular this year is in game six of the Eastern Conference Finals against the Pistons, scored, uh, I think he scored 10 shots in a row at one point, had 21 points, and in the um, in the series clinching game, which of course, the previous year, the Pistons had beaten the Heat in the um, in the Eastern Conference Finals, so it was, uh, you know, a bit of revenge for the Heat, and they Uh, end up making through to the finals. They lose the first two games, but then they ride Dwayne Wade to uh, beat the Mavericks in the NBA finals, giving uh, Jason Williams his first and only ring. Yeah, it's good. Yeah, he deserves a ring. Jason Williams for all all he's done for us. He did. Absolutely. Uh, Next season, uh, the Heat were only 44 and 38. Wade played only 51 games. Shaq played in 40. Um, they were, uh, swept in the, uh, first round, uh, by the bulls, um, it, it pretty, I mean, it's a sweep. So pretty emphatically, um, and it, it's interesting how quickly this all, it all tumbled apart for the heat. I mean, it really oh, like, yeah. you know, I mean, Shaq really only played, um, two full seasons and two half seasons. Um, you know, cause he's traded, uh, the next year in 07, 08 and, and they're, the, the um, heater 15 and 67 <laughs> that year, which is just like, you know, Shaq is trade for Sean Marion. Wade's hurt again. 
um you know walker it, we, he i think he declined quite a bit in the he was actually pretty good in the 06 season but he mm-hmm. declined a lot in the 07 season he gets traded for ricky davis and mark blunt and i mean you look at the lineup of that um of that 07 miami team like it's just not a um or i'm sorry the 08 miami team the um it's <laughs> it's not so good and william yeah they got they were an older team too, and that that's that's sometimes that will happen as well when you just get. Uh, yeah, I mean, but, but it's shockingly they bad got how, old. You know, I mean, really quick. I mean, you know, I mean, yeah, it, it's just. Um, no, it's like snap. They, they had that series against the Bulls, and if you remember, that's like the there, there's that famous uh, gif of Alonzo Mourning just kind of like shaking his head or whatever, and they just got blown out by a Bulls team that was not very good. I mean, completely swept them, and and that team was just a hustling bunch of young guys. That Bulls team, yeah. and that's sort of when you kind of realize, oh wait, these guys are really old and it was like then everybody was just kind of it was over it was right then and there it was just done did if i recall correctly the same bulls team like beat them by like 40 points on opening night oh that was that one yeah it was like that's that's the gif is of alonzo morning sitting on the bench and you can see the little ticker it's like 128 to like 72 or something ridiculous And, and the morning's just like, oh, man, it's over. Yeah, <laughs> like, right. it's like, we suck. Like, we're done. Yeah, I mean, Ricky Davis led the team in minutes that year with 20, 2,900. <laughs> and everyone, you know, no one else had more than 2,000. So, um, yeah. So, yeah, they they weren't. They had, Daquan Cook is playing a lot of minutes. Chris Quinn is playing a lot of minutes. To, uh, That's, you know, yeah, you can't have Young that. Doral Wright. Chris Quinn cannot um, play that much. Yeah. Um, Marion was hurt. Penny, Penny Hardaway, you see him? Marion only played. That's right, Penny Hardaway. That was his all the way down there. Here. Yeah, 325 minutes. Uh, yeah, Marion didn't play that. He only played 16 games for them. I think he got hurt too. Um, mm-hmm. after the trade. So, um, yeah, they had Marcus Banks there too. Uh, I guess he was involved in the uh, Shaq trade. Uh, so, um, yeah. So it's um, so so then uh. So then Jay will decides to sign with the Clippers uh, in August of 2008. But then in um, and in September, about, you know, about seven weeks later, decides that he's going to retire and misses the entire uh, entire season. Um, kind of a surprise. Later on, he he, you know, a year later, he decides to make a comeback with the Magic. And they sort of explain that he walked away from the contract because uh, his wife had some complications when pregnant with a third child. Um, he ended up sitting out the entire season. He tried to be reinstated in February. It required unanimous approval from the league's 30 teams, and it was voted down 24 teams to six, which is sort of an interesting process. Mm-hmm. I never had heard about that before. Yeah, no, yeah, that's very interesting. Yeah, and I wonder, I wonder why they wouldn't and, let him back in. Come on. And they talk about Michael Heisley, you know, long being fond of Williams, wanted him to come back to the Grizzlies, but then he decided well, he wanted to stay in Orlando. He'd been there for about a decade, and he could be near his family. Um, and then there's a great quote. Um, let me tell you this. If I could go all the way back, I wouldn't do a damn thing different. I know I messed up here and there along the way, but those things that didn't do right helped me to become the person I am now. I guess it su- sums up him pretty well in yeah. a uh, – right? so uh, he has one strong year for uh, you know actually really good Orlando team. They're, this is the year after they went to the finals. Um, they were 59 and 23. They fell to the um, Celtics in the Eastern Conference Finals in six games, but they destroyed the Bobcats and Hawks earlier in the playoff. Um, and they, they had sort of like 
They'd upgraded in talent, but sort of downgraded in chemistry. They had mm-hmm. lost Hita Turgaloo, Courtney Lee, and Rafer Alston. Turgaloo signed like a crazy contract. Um, that was his insane Toronto yeah. contract that he got. Because and a lot of it was because of that finals year. He was unstoppable. I mean, the guy was he was just in the corner shooting. I mean, he's a big reason that the, the the Cavaliers couldn't beat Orlando is they had nobody to guard Hito Turgaloo because yeah. they put you know I think Anderson Verja was chasing him around and like Hito was just having a field day running him around the corners and just just killing him. Yeah, no. So Toronto said, here, have all this money and that. I don't know if you remember that, but I think like halfway through that Toronto year, they were like, please leave and never come yes, back. Like, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> we would like you to never come back ever. Again, and please, and then they had, they, they traded for Vince Carter and Ryan Anderson. They signed Brandon Brass and Matt Barnes. They actually, they like, um, they matched an off-run Gortat that no one thought they'd match. Like it was like Dallas, like, uh, it was like, oh, they tried to steal Gortat and everyone thought they were going to be able to do yes. it. And they were supposed to be clever. And then they matched the offer and it looked like they were going to be even better, but you know, they were still really good, but not quite as good, obviously. So, um, and, um, and for whatever reason, even though Carter went back to his hometown, he didn't quite. I think he was still kind of in the transition from like. He, yeah, he wasn't quite the reliable like three. He was still kind of the I want to have a, a huge usage rate and be the the focal point of the offense. Yeah, versus and, where he's, and he was still really good, but just not quite like it was. He definitely you know slipped that year a bit. It, it, it was it was Phoenix that really was the time when he was like, you know what, look, <laughs> I'm, I probably should just do this now. And now he's carved out a really really awesome career, and I think he's a big part. You know, we mentioned the Memphis Grizzlies before. I think he's a big part of why the Grizzlies are as good as they are this year yeah he's been a lot of fun he's been just a guy that's a very interesting the role he's sort of taken on and 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 how few guys are kind of willing to do that right you know later yeah, in their I, career. yeah how few stars are able to you know mm-hmm. guys who are number one options like right. notably yeah. Allen yeah. iverson everybody always mentions you know how he just kind of went out of the league right away and if you remember teams wanted to sign him and they said look you just can't shoot you know 30 times a game and he went well nope then i'm good yeah yeah so but it's crazy to think you know uh, what would have happened you know uh, if Iverson came back, you know, and then was sort of a, a different sort of player. But yeah, no, I, Vince Carter just carved out a nice yeah, little Yeah, I mean, even stuff. like you can, like, you can sort of extrapolate that to Jason Williams a little bit, like even though he was not nearly the player that Iverson was, but mm-hmm. toward the end of his career, he kind of did actually carve sort of an effective niche as mm-hmm. a as a role player, a li- you know, a little bit, you know, and and, and obviously kind of went away from the flash. I mean, not that he ever shot as much as Iverson or was anywhere near the player of the star, but I mean, on a slightly or a a, a much smaller scale, he did sort mm-hmm. of be, sort able to do that. So. Uh, then his final year, he only played 25 games between Orlando and Memphis. Age started to catch up with him. He, uh, you know, got, got a little bit of a run in Memphis at the end to sort of, you know, I guess say goodbye there. But, uh, you know, kind of went out with the whimper. Although he still does, you know, I, I guess he's played some in China. He's done some like exhibition stuff and sort of, you know, um, does some at least some tours there to uh, and still sort of shows off some of the flashy moves there. So he's still, you know, got a life, got a life in playing basketball. At least there was uh, did you watch that video? I think it was uh, in October. I think they, they sent out just about a few months ago. That was uh, him in a uh, it was like an Orlando pro am, like so this like rec league in Orlando that he's in. Uh, I I don't remember. Oh, go watch it if you haven't. It's so he's so good. I mean, it's it, it, it's him. It's Jason Williams being that against like you know like accountants or whatever. He's like the same guy. He looks exactly the same. I mean, same amount of speed. I mean, relative to the guys he's on the court with, but no, it's it's pretty awesome. It's incredible. There you go. Is it J- It's just him. I mean, like the 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 ultimate like, hey, who's oh god, they have Jason. Why do they have Jason Williams? It's like or like you're playing against them. Like you tip off and you're like, "Is that Jason Williams on their team?" And it's like, "Yep." It's, nice. 
<laughs> that's just, he's like the live ringer that comes in but no he's uh yeah and he uh he, he talks a lot of crap in the video too so it's pretty it's pretty sweet good deal i'll, I'll be watching that as soon as we're uh, finished with the uh with the podcast <laughs> i know you have some um i know you have some stats and some fun facts for us yes yes so some are good some are bad about jason williams but a few things i wanted to tackle um uh, he's one of 37 guys uh to average six or more assists in their rookie year so so decent kind of company there and he's a guy who came in as you mentioned was just kind of a sensation right off the bat and and was given given the keys which a lot of a lot of young point guards as well don't necessarily get uh, another thing he unfortunately did as a rookie is shoot a lot of three-pointers it did not do them very well uh his 6.5 three-point attempts per game as a rookie are the most ever the only guy who's anywhere near close who's at i believe six is damian lillard so all-time jason williams is your all-time <laughs> of, of every three-point shooter that's ever the rookie of the year jason williams has taken the most per game so definitely interesting there um this is kind of the less so, but a lot of these names are interesting, and I wonder if there's sort of a bias towards, or, or just an interesting th- thing with this one is uh, Jason Williams is only one of 13 players uh, to have started over 600 career games and have a lower, uh, I'm sorry, only 13 players have a lower win shares per 48 than Williams that have started the same, relatively the same amount of, of games as Williams. So, so these are guys that start a lot but aren't any better than, than Jason Williams. Uh, and here's this list real quick. I, I want to see what your thoughts are on this. Um, you have Kendall Gill. Juwan Howard, Latrell uh, Sprewell, Glenn Robinson, Benoit Benjamin, Raymond Felton, Chuck Person, Stephen Jackson, Gerald Wilkins, Herb Williams, Jim Jackson, and your boy, and a member of the Atlanta Hawks, 2004-2005 Atlanta Hawks, Antoine Walker. What are your What are your thoughts on that list? Uh, first of all, thank you for that. And, yes. Uh, yeah, I, that is seems like a list of guys who, yeah, were regarded as maybe pretty good. Some of them are, you know, but probably weren't, uh, you know, for the most part. Um, right. You know, who probably were like guys who put up a lot of points but weren't, you know, particularly efficient at doing so. Um, I thought Joan Howard was an interesting one, though. I thought he was better than. Uh, yeah, Howard surprised me. Sprewell surprises me a little bit, too, because I, I always kind of regarded him as maybe a bit of a better player than that. Steve- yeah, I. I- I do wonder if the Juwan, but it is per 48. So I was wondering if the, like the latter years of Juwan Howard, when he was just kind of like this 43 year old guy, that's just like, Hey, like it's going but he barely played. Yeah. Him, so I guess, I guess he couldn't. Yeah. The winters per 48 wouldn't really affect him there, but yeah, everybody else kind of fits. Yeah. I Steven Jackson, maybe surprised me a little bit. I, and I guess defense is sort of some of his, mm-hmm. his value, which of course wouldn't be really very well measured by that. Um, I mean, it would be somewhat, but not, you know, it, it, it's still, um, you know, most statistical measures just have a hard time measuring that. So, um, yeah, everyone else, um, you know, I, I'm, I'm sad to say because Jim Jackson was my favorite player when I was a kid. So, nice. um, you know, Ohio state guy. So, um, I was just interested in the time period as well. I mean, all these guys are, like, it's true. Yeah, they are all, with the exception, I mean, Benoit Benjamin might be a little bit out, but not barely. I mean, yeah. he still kind of had some crossover, think- but yeah, the rest of these guys are like, yeah, you know, mid nineties to, to mid two thousands. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Uh, Benoit, uh, Benoit Benjamin, I think, was was rookie in like eighty seven or so. So mm-hmm. yeah, he's not that much. Yeah, you know, that is that is interesting. I didn't think about that, but yeah. I mean, is it the consequence of just having a bigger league and more players? I, I think that's it. I mean, he these guys have to because I, I I sorted it by starts because I wanted to see guys that got a ton of starts. So yeah, I'm assuming that's it. Where if, if, in in previous years. You know, uh, uh, Jim Jackson might not have hung around nearly as long if, if there was only, you know, X amount of teams. But the fact that there's yeah. 30, you know, he gets, you know, but yeah, that, but, that could be. You know, I wonder, yeah. But Jim Jackson had a reputation of being a pretty good player. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. So I mean, most of these guys, at least for a while, were, you know, you mm-hmm. know, maybe not Joe Wilkins, but um, 
but everyone else, I think there was at least, you know, had two or three years where they were like considered, you know, like, you know, pretty good and, yeah. you know, were maybe even borderline considered all-star, you know, because they're like maybe they're a candidate for being an all-star, that, that type of player. So yeah. that is so definitely an interesting. That is interesting. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. A few things I wanted to tackle here is a, a, a bit of what I thought was an unfair narrative about Jason Williams, and that was the fact that he was, you know, this this turnover machine. And that's one of the big things we, we when you read these articles about the Bibby trade, it's all the Kings are, you know, they're getting rid of a guy who just throws it anywhere and doesn't know where he's throwing the ball. And he's just a, a turnover, you know, here and there. And it's just a walking turnover. He really when you add in pay, I mean, yeah, his per his per game numbers of turnovers are a lot, but of course you have to, you have to factor pace in for some of those things. They were getting a lot more possessions. They were doing a lot more. I mean, he was handling the ball more than, than other point guards. So I wanted to look at a few other things here. Uh, he's 373rd all time in turnovers per 36, which is not bad. I mean, that's, that's pretty high. And then another interesting part was, um, uh, turnover percentage. He's 99th all time in turnover percentage. That's, you know, the percentage of, of possessions that end in a turnover again, not awful. And then what I thought was interesting is, you know, we talked about how he, you know, later in his years, he became a much more controlled player. So I thought, okay, let me look at those first five years of his career when he was less controlled, when he was just kind of going around there. Uh, and he's barely in the top 100 over his first five uh, of guys in their first five years with those amount of turnovers. He's he's 91st in that. So really not a guy that, that was particularly like all time a, a, a turnover machine in a lot of ways. So that, I thought that was interesting because you always kind of get that. And, and I'd like to do a little bit more work on that and look at, you know, assists and point guards and that, uh, you know, all that other kind of stuff. But yeah, I thought that was interesting that he's not necessarily, you know, as, as bad. And, and one more thing before we go and, and, and uh, Jared uh, helped me out with this one is he, he talked about his, his really bad combination of field goal percentage and three points. Uh, I'm going to look at any, uh, at all time guys who have shot worse and in, in both field goal and three point. Than Jason Williams, uh, there's only uh, five guys here, and this is a uh, who's who of of great players as well. Uh, Vernon Maxwell, Jamal Tinsley, Eddie Griffin, Sebastian Telfair, and Ronnie Price are the only guys who have shot worse at both those things than Jason Williams. So. Nice, nice. Well, yeah, I mean, I, like, I think you we've made a pretty convincing case that you know the turnovers weren't really an issue; it was more just the yeah the shooting was. <laughs> he wasn't not a good shooter. Yeah, yeah just, and he really... and he became an okay one as he you know um you know for a few years there, particularly in Memphis and my and Miami. But yeah, um, but and, and a few of the articles talked about too, and in, and obviously the highlight videos aren't going to show this, but that that one of the big issues was they'd be on like a fast break and he would just stop and take a three, or like yeah, they would you know there'd be a two on one and he would just stop and take a three or whatever. It was it was those sort of things that were the most maddening, less so than kind of the turnovers and stuff because he wasn't. I mean, had a lot of turnovers, but had a lot of assists too. Yeah. So, so guy that, yeah, it was really, I think, more the, the and and the bad defense, as we mentioned, the defense was horrible. So that that did not. You happen, had a, so. you had some a little bit of a kind of a comparison to Williams and Bibby that I thought. Oh was yes, yeah, yeah. Let me. Um, so luckily, uh, uh, Basketball Reference added a a play by play data uh, this year, and they've done a little bit more with that. So I wanted to look at the transition between Williams and Bibby from from the, you know the the last year with Williams. Uh, on the Kings and then the first year with Bibby to kind of look at, at a few different things. Uh, so we're talking 2000, 2001 Williams. Uh, he had 104, what they count as bad passes. Uh, the next year, Mike Bibby came in and had 80. And these are, these are turnovers as a result of bad passes. So th that's how they kind of calculated it uh, here. And then another interesting thing I thought was despite all those, you know, bad pass turnovers or whatever, uh, uh, 2000 to 2001, uh, Jason Williams, he generated uh, 907 points from assists, which it, Pretty good. Uh, the next year, Bibby, uh, 893. So not a huge difference, but Williams actually tops him in, in points generated uh, via the assist. So, so an interesting thought there. So that's where you get another idea that, look, it wasn't really how he was operating the team. It wasn't really his assist. It was probably just the fact that he was just a terrible defender and a, a horrible shooter, whereas Mike Bibby w was, you know, a competent defender, but a really good shooter. So 
Yeah. So interesting. So we we did uh, we got a late question kind of of just, you know, overall thoughts on Williams versus Bibby. Like, you know, um, I, do you have any strong opinions on, you know, which player had a uh, had a stronger career? Which one you'd uh, rather have if you were, uh, you know, if, if you were running a franchise, you know, got any hot, yeah, hot Williams versus Bibby takes? No, what's interesting about Bibby is that, you, you know, you get a guy like Williams who, who started out really hot and then, you know, fades a little bit, but then finds his footing a little bit later. Whereas I don't know if Mike Bibby ever did. I mean, he started out kind of just pretty hot, stayed hot for like, you know, 10 years. But when he flamed out, it was it was over. But he he was in the league a lot longer, played for a lot more teams. But, man, I the vivid memories of Mike Bibby on that Knicks team. Do you remember how awful oh, he was then? It's just horrible. Yeah. But, and, but, but on it, the Hawks too, I just, Oh yeah. Was, I'm sorry. You had to watch yeah. that. Yeah. I mean, he did I, get a, he did help us get to the playoffs for the first time. So I'll, I'll yeah, get so, so there you go. So yeah, no, and, but, but Bibby, I mean, overall, I mean, the, the point of the thing is, you know, obviously those Lakers series, Mike Bibby is the guy. I mean, he's the guy that they're relying on that. He's the big shot guy from those teams. You know, when Weber goes down, he becomes the star of the, those Sacramento Kings, him and Peja. So it's hard to really say that that Williams was in any way, you know, more significant to the Kings or more significant overall, because I think overall. But but I mean, Jason Williams got a ring and, you know, rings are all that matter. So <laughs> I'm from what I've heard. <laughs> yeah. So I think it's Jason Williams is obviously the better. Player. No, but I it's it's interesting. Yeah, I, I think Bibby, I would probably you know, rank quote unquote better than Williams, but it's an interesting debate yeah. for sure. I'd definitely rather watch Williams without a question, you know? Oh no, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And there's nothing that exciting about Mike Bibby's no, game. No, so. and, yeah. And, and it got worse as he got older. So, um, I mean, he did, he, you know, those Kings teams were fun even with him, but you know, with, with Williams he shot 28% from the field with that Knicks team. Yeah. That's, uh, how do you shoot 28% from the Twenty percent from two point. Eh, he played thirty nine. Twenty percent from two he point. He played fifty five or fifty seven minutes that year too. That's uh, yeah, yeah. That was Mike Woodson, I would think. Um, yeah, yeah, I think that was. Yeah. Oh no, was that was that a late D'Antoni year or no? Was that the D'Antoni? I don't care anymore. You you've killed it for me. <laughs> oh, it was both. It was it was Dan, the first half was D'Antoni and the last ah, half. Ah, there we go. Woodson, so yes, so. But that was D'Antoni just like sitting there and being like, I don't yeah, care. Let's do whatever. Like, uh, all right, guys. Yeah. <laughs> all right, and then I think the last thing. Stefan Marbury. I have I have no live anymore so. the last thing we have to talk about is of course is jason williams uh, tattoos and i um I, I took this is straight from wikipedia so if it's inaccurate i apologize but i did not do that thorough of verification of jason williams tattoos but uh he has a panther on his right arm a dragon on his left an eye on his chest and apparently he has the quote of it's why i pass so good because i have a third eye Perfect. uh in the 2000 and one season, he had a wolf holding a basketball on his arm, and he had a white boy tattooed across his knuckles. He also has his children's names on his forearms. So, well, there you go. There you go. Uh, you heard it here first. <laughs> um, so, uh, yeah. Um, I don't know anything else on uh, anything else on white chocolate. I, I mean, the player, not not the. Not, not I have no more because thoughts. I don't. I especially have no more thoughts on the the candy. But no, I'm I, I think I'm out on the white chocolate stuff. I think it was a good a good recap and, and a fun career for a guy. And and really, I just it, watch his highlight videos. Yeah, There's like four or five on YouTube, and they, they have horrible music. But whatever. It's 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 just amazing to see the yeah. stuff he does. Someone make that, someone make a great Jason Williams highlight video with good video quality and just not music. Just like you know, actual like 
the cause, you know? Just not Eminem. I, just anything but Eminem, really. Well, <laughs> would, I will accept wouldn't anything. Wouldn't you rather hear the calls in the crowd? I mean, maybe you could have a yes. little bit of music in the background, like, softly, like, if you really want to add, like, okay, fine. You know, or a little bit of music interspersed with the calls. But really, I want to hear the calls. You're right. I agree. All right. So just, you know, <laughs> just my two cents. All right. Well, um, thanks, everyone, for checking us out. We always appreciate it. You can find us at thepodiumgame.com, which is part of the Hardwood Paroxysm Basketball Network. You can find us on iTunes on the Hardwood Paroxysm podcast feed, of which we are part of many of a great group of podcasts that we are proud to be part of. You can follow us on Twitter at Over and Back NBA. We're at Facebook at the uh, same name, and we have an Over and Back NBA.com.tumblr.com uh, website that you can uh, check out as well with links to our shows and uh, a handful of other things. Um, and uh, I don't know, I think that's about it. So that is it for me. Yes. All right. Great episode. I enjoyed this. All right. I enjoyed it as well. Thanks, everyone, for uh, listening, and uh, please visit us again soon. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.